605 on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. You're tuned in to Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. I'm your host, Joe Paris. Here on your Friday night, 605 local time, I'm joined in studio by my co-host as every, uh, every Friday, Andrew Hobner, who is wearing Larry King suspenders today. Yes, uh, actually, I, there's a fun fact I learned today about Larry King, courtesy of Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweets. If you were to skin Larry King and iron out all of his leather, you would have enough to give one coat to every needy child in America. Ouch. Yes. But yes, suspenders, Steve Jones' glasses, it's good. I'm feeling very Larry Kingish tonight. Check Jake Shapiro's Twitter, who's also in studio with here, us here tonight, because he'll have a picture of Andrew up on there shortly. Uh, Jake <laughs> is a late fill-in. Uh, we called in Jake in the last hour, so Jake, thanks for being able to join us. I know there's a big Cubs game going on right now that you want to watch. Yeah, you know, as a... Uh my, my mic's not. Your mic is in it. Well, that is guess three. Try the other guess one. Four. Try the other one. Oh. Do other things. Come on, Joe. Am I on? Am I on? Come on, Joe. I'm doing Joe, you're better than this. No, it's not me. Is it me? It's you. Yeah. Do you want to come that over one. and hang out with me? No, I don't, I don't want to go. Oh, you don't want to come over and hang out with me? I don't want to go white socks. They're not white. They're like, they're beige and patterned. We're having God, some. Oh, there we go. I'm yeah, just trying you know, to you're mention welcome. me as the substitute. I want to go back to uh, what's that movie with uh, Kirsten Dunst, the substitute people. I was going to say you were like the middle reliever. Yeah. I, I think that one's a little bit as more me and Joe were texting about the Troy Hawkins <laughs> Oh, my earlier. God. I almost lost my mind today. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Toronto sports fan. And so it's not, you know, it's not enough that Toronto, the Maple Leafs lose on opening night to the Canadians. It's not enough that the, the Jays lose uh, in game one of the ALDS in terrible fashion. But now, today, they lose in the 14th inning after having a lead late in the game. And Troy Tulowitzki goes 0 for 6. And the Troy Hawkins blows the game. So that wasn't enough. Oh, oh, you want some more things? Oh, okay. And the Toronto Maple Leafs are also losing one nothing right now, and the Avalanche got pooped on last night in the last 10 minutes of the third period. You know, everything's great over in my corner. I'm watching my Cubbies in the postseason. I've got the Hawks on the other screen who just came off a Stanley Cup championship. Everything's great over oh, in this Everything's great here. for the city of Chicago. Well, guess what? Well, who cares? Everything is good on my half, too. My CU soccer team tied up against Washington today after a fierce overtime game. Volleyball is going to be starting later tonight. See you football tomorrow in Tempe. We got Rick George tonight with a bunch of All Buffs questions. And Hokey on All Buffs, if you're listening, yes, we got to like three or four of your questions. And I appreciate you guys putting them in. Um, it makes talking to uh, a guy like Rick George a whole lot easier when you know that the questions uh, aren't just questions of yours. They're questions that are coming from the fan base. He was very candid uh, on what he was talking about and the things that he was answering. Um We'll play it for you at 6.15, but you know what's funny, Joe and Shap? He seems frustrated, like just based on what I was, you know, my conversation with him. I mean, he he seems frustrated with the lack of uh, of real, bless you, <laughs> of, oh, of real um, progress within the football and basketball program. So we'll put it on at 6.15, but it's it's cool. Listen, he I, I 
I'm in awe of the guy. He's everywhere at once, and he really knows what he's doing. He's a really good guy too, and it actually it was getting scary because we were uh, you know we realized we had to do a pre-recorded interview uh, this oh afternoon God, because was... Mr. George is heading down to Tempe to go watch the game, and he's been there. Oh, sorry, yeah. he's there now. Okay, so and, uh, but he does know, other Rick George things. He does Rick George <laughs> things, and so we we had a pre-recorded interview that Andrew did moments before he was anchoring the sports show. He almost didn't make it. So. Yeah, well, um, I'm happy it happened because. I was supposed to talk to Mr. George at 3.30, and uh, for Sports Mag, the show <clears throat> starts at 4.15. Got to be down there to be in the anchor chair a couple minutes prior. And uh, so 4 o'clock hits, and I'm starting to sweat a little bit because I'm thinking I can't continue to push back the show and wait. So I give a call to Christina Beck, who is um, Mr. George's uh, executive assistant, and say, we might have to reschedule this. I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to do this on the show? This was like a big week to have him on. Right as I'm talking to her on the phone to reschedule, uh, I get a call waiting. I'm like, oh, this this might be him. Hold and accept. This is Andrew. Hi, Andrew. It's, it's Rick George. How are you? So, bullet dodged. We got the interview. We got him. So, we're good. And Andrew and I are exchanging text messages the whole time. He's like, it's not going to happen. And I was like, well, <laughs> we got to be honest. We're just going to have to tell him that we failed. So, that's that. <laughs> but we did not fail. We're still going. Yes. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Gary Barnett this week. He's in Knoxville, Tennessee. But hopefully, we can uh, get him for next Friday. That would be. Uh, That'd be a whole lot of fun. Hopefully, Neil Wolk will be joining us on uh, on Monday on Buff Sports Radio, and of course, next Friday, Joe's, Joe's yes. other oh, yes. tentative get. Listen to tentative. this. Tentative. Our tentative guest next Friday is going to be former NFL quarterback and Notre Dame superstar Brady Quinn. That Brady Quinn. He'll be in town. Uh, he'll be doing the color commentary on uh, Colorado versus Arizona on FS1. And I reached out to Brady, and he got back to me. So, tentatively, we're going to have Brady Quinn next week on Radio 1190. This is, like, becoming real radio. We have, like, real lineups. <laughs> All I'm saying, Joe, is, you know, you, you seem like you're getting into a close connection with Brady over here. Maybe in studio. Maybe I'll ask him to uh, sign my press credential. Oh, oh let's not let's not oh, throw man. let's not throw shots around in here. Let's not no, throw shade at some other CU reporters. <laughs> See, Jake Jake did that. He just just waiting. It was the alley oop. It was. And I slammed it home. You know, if you if you're gonna be if you're gonna go onto an event with credentials, you you can't you can't go there. You just need some ethics. You cannot go to the point where it's like, hey, Mr. Heinrich, can I get your autograph? Oh. Now, if you have them in your show, it's... You know, Jay and Dan, they have guys on their show all the time. There's, yeah. there's no limits. So. That's another That's another thing, though. They're, they're fans and friends. Are you saying there. I'm not Jay on, right? Or Dan O'Toole? I'm, I'm not saying I'm that. I'm just a pig farmer from Peterborough, Joe. I'm just a pig partner from Peterborough. All right. This is Radio 1190 KVC Boulder. Andrew just wrote the letters UO on a piece of paper in front like of Like the me. University of Oregon, Joe. Oh, right. <laughs> so we're going to talk to uh, – we're going to have Rick George. Uh, we're going to have his interview, which is about 10 minutes long. He said some really cool stuff. Uh, I listened to it this afternoon right after Andrew and I – uh, to care of that, so it's some really good stuff. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that. Um, we will debrief the Oregon game. We will preview uh, the game against Arizona State. Uh, some other big Pac-12 news. USC goes down last night. Um, big time. Big time. Oh, yeah. It was a really, really good game. Yeah, uh, you know, the Pac-12, and, and I thought about it right at the beginning of the year. Um, once I saw that Oregon wasn't going to be, you know, a world beater anymore, they're going to eat each other, and I really don't think there's going to be a team in the Pac-12 that is going to make it into the CFP uh, because you just look at how Pac-12 teams play each other, and 
it's a toss-up every time. I mean, unless you have an Oregon team led by Marcus Mariota or you have um, a USC team that rivals the USC teams of old, Utah's a beatable team uh, by the upper echelon of the Pac-12. I'm not saying they're beatable by CU, but to a team like Stanford, uh, you know, a, a team like USC, you know, uh, Utah is, is a defeatable opponent. And that's the thing. There's nobody in the Pac-12 this year where you think they're going to run away with it. Despite how competitive the Pac-12 is, they will be able to run away with it and get into the CFP. I don't think that's going to happen this year, and I don't think there's going to be uh, a one-loss team in the Pac-12 this year. Well, I, I think, think everyone's dropping at least two. It's too competitive. Well, I think that's the, the fear from the SEC a few years ago when they were first talking about the college football playoff and how it would be so terrible for the inaugural college football playoff if there was no SEC teams that were you know leading the pack because what we're having now, the Pac-12, is these guys, there's not one team that is you know, sticks out as an elite team. You know, there's a lot of very good teams. And if these teams were in different conferences, they would all go win their respective conferences, I believe. But now you have this point where these guys are just beating each other up in the regular season. And when you get through and you get to the playoffs, who's going to be left? I don't know. I think it's going to be Utah. I think Utah's a solid team. They're already receiving AP Top 25 number one votes. Uh, they got seven this week. They're ranked number five in the country. Utah's a real solid team. We saw them play great against Oregon just a few weeks ago. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do here over the next couple weeks. Of course, that's CU's last game on the slate. But going back to USC, who expected them to be 3-2 and two at this point? You know, Yeah, it's true. We're looking out the schedule, and we're penciling in wins and losses going into the season. Yeah. And we're thinking USC's going to come into Boulder undefeated for for that Friday night game. You know, all of a sudden now, USC is 3-2. and two. Things change so quickly in college football, and we're going into Arizona State this weekend. CU is uh, to a solid team, another very physical team in Arizona State that CU's coming off physical loss to Oregon. Yeah. Pull up, uh, before we go to the Rick George, pull up Utah's schedule real quick and show me what their marquee games are. Um, oh, Colorado. At home to finish the season. Uh, yeah, that'll be one. Depends that, you on know it. what, Depends. though? That could be in prime time. Hey, if CU bounces back and they continue to play. I'm surprised. You know, two weeks in a row now, uh, Colorado, not two weeks, but for a few weeks in a row, Colorado's going to be in prime time. This week they're in prime time on Pac-12 Networks. Next week they're going to be in prime time once again on Fox Sports 1. If they, actually, if they get a uh, a flagship ESPN game. It'll be the first time that that's happened three times in a season since 2010 when Dan Hawkins was coaching. Um, every other season since then, it's been uh, ESPN 2 or the Pac-12 Network. Even the U at times. Yep, yep. And, or the uh, three. Yeah, it's, uh, it's ES. Three. So for, the, for them to have a mainstay ESPN game, an FS1 game, and then if the cards fall right, another mainstay ESPN game, it would it would be huge. But that Utah schedule, I'm looking at it right now. There's potential in every one of those games that isn't Oregon State and Colorado. Sorry, but outside of Oregon State and Colorado, I could see them dropping a game to one of those players, one well, of those teams. Buffs always play them tough, but you know what's weird? Almost every single time in the Pac-12, we've seen the home team lose thus far which has been so weird in conference play. We've yeah, seen so many really visiting true. teams win. And, you know, you're looking at Utah's schedule right now, and the toughest game seems to be at USC in Los Angeles. But all of a sudden, USC doesn't look like the same football team they did five weeks ago. And, you know, they have UCLA coming into Utah, which is a huge advantage because UCLA is one of the other really good teams in the Pac-12 this year. Tune in to Friday Night Live on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder, Joe Paris, Andrew Hobner, and Jake Shapiro here with you. 615 local. 
local time. Uh, we're going to play uh, the pre-recorded uh, interview we had with University of Colorado Athletic Director Rick George. It had it this afternoon. Uh, we encourage you to tweet at us on Twitter uh, at a underscore g underscore Hobner at Chapalicious or at Joe Paris. And if you'd rather do the email thing, you can send me your emails j o e. Joe at Radio1190.org. So, without further ado, here is uh, what Mr. Rick George had to say on a variety of items. Uh, we'll be back after this uh, interview, and we'll debrief, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll get going. We'll get going. You're tuned into Radio 1190 KBCU Boulder. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Friday Night Live on Radio 1190 KBCU Boulder. I'm Andrew Hobner, and I am here with University of Colorado Athletic Director Rick George. Mr. George, how are you today? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you? Doing pretty well. It's uh, it's been an interesting week uh, in Boulder, and we were hoping to get your thoughts and hear what uh, hear what things have been uh, doing on your end. So we're almost at the halfway point of the football season, and um, the first question I have for you is, how have you uh, thought about this team? How has the team looked in your eyes after five weeks? Well, you know, I, I think we've been a little inconsistent, and um, you know, we've, you know, we're three and two, and and you know, you know, it's great that we're three and two, but uh, you know, we've let a few things slip away, and um, you know, we're still trying to find out who we are, and and um, you know, uh, we just got to continue to improve each game, and and we'll win our share of games uh, towards the end of the season. So when you look at um how the facilities have been uh, in terms of fans actually getting to see them, be able to sit on the deck for the first time. Um, what has the reaction been from people, or uh, what is what have people been telling you on your end about how the facilities look now that we're in the thick of football season? Well, you know, the, I mean, what I consistently hear is that they're really uh, impressive and that they're going to really be great for our student-athletes, and I couldn't agree more. I, I think that... Uh, these facilities, you know, I've said this before, are going to transform us. And, um, you know, they were uh, facilities that we needed. And I think, um, you know, they're doing everything that we hoped they would. But I think people are seeing these facilities and saying they're first class and they're going to benefit CU and CU Athletics in a big way in the future. Now, despite the facilities, um, you know, really wowing a lot of people, you know, the football team still has uh, frustrated some of their fans. Uh, a couple season ticket holders, um, wanted to know now that the concept of single game tickets and packages are being heavily promoted by the university what is the incentive to be buying in uh, for full-time season tickets now well i mean the incentive is you're always going to get your best price buying season tickets without a question and um you know we we yes we do have offers and we do have promotions at times but to ensure the best seats and um you know to ensure the best prices uh, on a year-round basis uh the season ticket is the way to go and um you know look we um you know we we need to sell more season tickets uh we need to get people more engaged uh and um I, you know, I think we're focused uh, on that piece of, of what we're trying to do. So as far as getting uh, tickets in and, and season ticket holder numbers, how do you guys look um, on a budget uh, standpoint for the football team this year? Will the team be meeting the goals based on the projections, or is it still too early to tell? Well, 
Well, look, we'll hit our budget. Um, that's not good enough for me. Um, you know, we budgeted very conservatively, and I think we'll hit that very conservative budget. Um, you know, frankly, I'm disappointed that more people aren't coming out to support what we're doing. But, you know, again, we, we've got some work to do, and, and, and hopefully people will jump on board. But, you know, what we tell everybody, for us to be successful, we need people to come out, buy tickets, and, and be in the stands and support our efforts. Now, the Oregon game had an attendance of uh, a little over 46,000, so you know, about three to 4,000 short of a sellout. Was there ever uh, a conversation or will there be conversations in the future um, to either do reduce price tickets or uh, you know, giveaways to local high school football teams or something like that to really fill out that little back horseshoe area of Folsom? Well, you know, look, we, you know, for the more, you know, we, we've got about 7,300 student tickets in there. We could do 3,000 more of those and, and fill the stadium easy. We had our, that was our best gross um, revenue attendance in our history. Um, so, you know, we sold a lot of individual tickets. For us, we need to sell more season tickets. Uh, and then, you know, when we do get the individual game sales, uh, then that'll allow us to get to a sellout. So when you look at um, the Pac-12 and the uh, other conferences in the Power Five, one of the big looming questions uh, has been what might happen in the next few years as far as conference realignment goes. Um, there are some people that believe that the Big 12 um, might play a part or a big role in how that realignment happens. From your perspective, do you see uh, anything on the horizon in terms of Power Five realignment? Well, look, there's always that possibility, and I think five, six years ago, people wouldn't have thought there would have been as much as there is, but, you know, certainly with only 10 schools in the conference, the Big 12 could add a couple, um, you know, and then have a championship game like uh, the rest of the Power Five conferences, so, I mean, that may always happen, but um, I don't see any major shift at this point other than a school here, a school there. Uh, and the Big 12 would look like it'd be the obvious choice that would add a school or two. Now, in regards to the Pac-12, and you mentioned, you have mentioned in the past that this is always your favorite question because everybody asks about it. Um, AT&T uh, and DirecTV both, the deal fell through with the Pac-12, and from a business standpoint, it looked like a very smart move on the Pac-12's choice, uh, on their option to do that. Um, do you agree that it was the right move for the Pac-12 to not give up uh, some content creation and to kind of continue to go on the path that they're at now? Well, look, I mean, you know, had it been the right deal, then both sides could have come together and we could have made a deal. But it wasn't a good deal um, for us, and um, so we didn't do it. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, our, our conference can get back together with 18 direct and AT&T and DirecTV and maybe sit down and have another discussion, but um, I don't think we want to give away our rights and, and not have a deal that fits best for our conference. Now, when you look at um, sports media in general, the prevailing thought is that it will eventually move to a streaming model. Um, do you think that the Pac-12 is well-equipped to deal with it if some big paradigm shift in how people uh, ingest sports media happens? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we've got our own network, and, um, you know, we. I, I think that move uh, would be 
easy for us. I'm not so sure that's uh, that quick around the corner, and you know we'll see how that plays out. But the that market's ever changing, and the dynamics are ever changing, and um, you know we just got to make sure that um, we're ahead of the game and we know where we're going. Now the Sustainable Excellence Initiative here at CU um, was hoping that the football team um, will be in a conference championship uh, within the next one to two years. Um, is that a benchmark that you still have set, or has the bar been lowered a little bit uh, given uh, what has kind of happened at the beginning of this year? You know, look, we need to start winning football games. And, um, you know, I, I, I think anything's possible. And uh, we haven't lowered our benchmark. Um, however, you know, we're not progressing in the way um, that I would like to see us do that. But, you know, we're 0-1 in the conference. You know, we come out and we win tomorrow night. Things change, and um, that's our focus right now. So when you look at um – you know, fan engagement promos over the last year. You know, they've had the brick walk. They've uh, signed the final girder. Um, the students now have a rewards program. Do you guys have any other ideas uh, coming down the pipeline that will get fans back in the seats or, or even incentivize fans getting back in the seats? Well, you know, look, we know we've got to put a product on the field, and then when we get people there, we've got to provide a great experience. And, you know, we, we've got to really peel back the layers and look at how we're marketing to the public. Because, frankly, I think a, a lot more than 35,000 people should be coming to our games, and uh, we're going to look really hard uh, towards the end of this calendar year and, and early part of next year to figure out how we can better market to get people to come into our stands. Because I do think uh, that we have a, a team and a product that's worth supporting. Uh, we, we play in the number one college football stadium in America. We need to start filling the stadium. Now, the one unfortunate thing for CU Athletics really is that um, we have a lot of great programs here that win Pac-12 championships and win national championships, but they aren't necessarily the revenue drivers that football and basketball are. Is there ever been or has there ever been a conversation uh, within the athletic department or the Pac-12 to try and increase the coverage of a sport like skiing or cross country? It's kind of a dicey situation to do that, but um, has there ever been a way to try and increase that exposure? Well, look, our, our conference broadcasts more live events than any other conference in the country. We broadcast 850 live events. So I think the conference is really doing a great job from that perspective. You know, we need to grow our distribution base. But as far as the coverage that we're giving sports, uh, light ski, soccer, volleyball, etc. I think our conference does a great job with that. Rick George, University of Colorado Athletic Director, we really appreciate the time. Uh, you're down in Tempe this weekend. Uh, anything you're looking forward to outside of hopefully a Buffs victory? <laughs> That's really the only thing that matters to me and, uh, <laughs> is us getting the win um, this Saturday night. So, you know, the guys are going to go out there and they're going to get the best and uh, let's hope our best is good enough when we come back with the W and we're 4-2. Mr. George, really appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to tape this interview. I'm sure our listeners are going to love hearing it. Thanks, Andrew. Yep. Great, great night. So that was Rick George speaking with our own Radio 1190s, Andrew Hobner, who looks like Larry King tonight. Uh, a lot of things <laughs> stick out in that interview. Uh, I mean, in that 10-minute span, there was like five or six huge things to me that stuck out. And I think the biggest for me is that 
I'm sure if you were to ask Rick after the Oregon game and you know say, wow, it was so cool. It was, it was sold out in the first half. Look how great that was. I'm sure Rick said, yeah, it should be. And, you know, I'm not going to be happy until we're better than that every week. And to me, like, that's great. You know, you don't want to have a, an athletic director that's complacent. He is not satisfied with what his goals are. And, you know, Andrew asked him about season tickets, and he says, well, we should be sold out every week. We're playing in the greatest, you know, college football stadium in the country. And he's right. We talk about it every week on this show that Boulder is a perfect hub for creating a Division One powerhouse in, honestly, everything. I mean, football got your new facilities you've got all the recruits coming in now you're seeing a preview um, in that first half against Oregon what Folsom Magic really is and I think really in the future maybe 10-15 years from now we'll be looking back at these shows I know Andrew archives all these shows and listens to them on his cross-country road trips all the time we'll (laughs) listen back to the show and said you know even though I'm a potato farmer now I used to be a good journalist you know the one thing I love about Rick George Joe is is how real Rick George keeps it he just has a great business mind and a great business acumen so he knows exactly what he wants after having been with a team like the Texas Rangers you know he knows what it takes to build a viable sustainable and good uh, athletic program and frankly he sounds a bit frustrated this year, and he sounds a bit difficult. And um, I, I didn't want to – I mean, I, I felt the need to pop that question to him to say, not will you marry me, <laughs> but uh, – <laughs> You looked at me when I said pop the question, How man. could I not? <laughs> what other context do you ever say pop the question? None. Yeah, that's fair. Go on. Anyway, when I posed the question – I popped the question. Yeah. Sustainable excellence being <laughs> they want a football Pac-12 championship by 16. Um, you know, and I felt that that was a necessary thing to ask him because it's like a 3-2 and two team. You know, we're not, we're not down winless Embry by any means anymore. But I'm struggling to, to think that this team is going to win over six games this year. So if the goal was by this year or next year to have a Pac-12 champion in football, which it was, it was. So that you know, you have to imagine that he that there is a little bit of I wouldn't say pressure on him, but Rick George to me strikes me as a guy who's a competitor and he always wants to win. So he's probably thinking to himself, we need to change something, we need to do something because. I want to win. CU wants to win. CU's fans deserve to see winning. And everything just has to be at least on a noticeable upslope in this program. Well, something that he said that I thought was really interesting when you posed the idea of discounted or free tickets um, at Folsom Field in favor of you know having it fill in, thinking maybe if we give out really cheap tickets or give out a lot of free tickets, we can have that environment like we had against Oregon. He said no. People are going to want to be here. People are going to pay for that. And to me, that's, again, he's a competitor because a lot of athletic directors, a lot of sports people would say, hey, we just want to get our building full. Uh, you know, it's that home field environment, blah, blah, blah. Rick George is saying people are going to want to be here. And I think he's right. I mean, well, you, li- you listen to what he said. <laughs> the most single-game tickets in CU history was the Oregon game. Yes, there was a lot of Oregon fans, but, you know, the, the CU faithful came out in droves for that game. It shows that CU is interested in it. And, yes, Rick George said he isn't getting as much money as he wants from the fans and donations and all that stuff, the drive to 105, the give-us-your-money events, all that. You know, he isn't getting it. But he's seeing that the CU faithful is interested in buff sports right now, and he, he wants – 
even more of it. You know, obviously you want as much as you can get as quickly as you can get, and you know, hopes were high that they would make it to the Pac-12 championship game this year. But you want that. You want mm-hmm. to set the bar high for yourself. So setting these very high goals rather than conservative goals, as he as he used the term conservative. You know, I, I think that's not a bad thing. You yeah. know, if you, if yeah. you f- fail, fail hard, fail better, I, and I, I and agree. I think that's what CU's been doing this year. Their football program has been failing better. I think their athletic department is failing better, and and I mean that in the best way possible because they are doing a lot better of a job the last two years than they did the two prior years. Yeah, I agree. And the the attendance issues will always be what they are. Um, because my what I'm convinced about is that a uh, it will take at least three to four years to get a crop of students who come here to watch football that actively want to watch football uh, every single Saturday. Now, I, I'm I think Rick George echoes a lot of the sentiments uh, of fans in, in voicing that is a fr- that it is a frustration that it's thirty five thousand people. In Folsom Field for these games. I mean, there has to be, there has to be more. There has to be. There's, there's no excuse for there to be such. There is an excuse though. What? The excuse is that the team isn't good, and he yeah. said it himself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Once the team gets good, people are going to show back up, and we know Folsom's going to be the ticket in town. I mean, I, I think I mean it in the sense of. If it's a game you know you're going to win, why why not go? And obviously there's an argument to be made for why you wouldn't want to see UMass or Nichols State. But I think in in his eyes, and in my eyes too to a lesser extent, if it's a game that you know you're going to win, you're going to watch a decent product, you know, why not go? Well, you're going to go see those Nichols State games if you're a CU fan when the team is playing for the third or fourth win of the season rather than, you know, to be 500 or to get one of their only cupcake wins. You know, I, I think once you get winning, winning begets winning. And the the ticket needs to be hot. There needs to be a, a people wanting to come here to people to make it even more of a hotter ticket, if that yep. makes sense. There Kinda. needs to be... Uh, uh, demand for there to be more of a demand. It needs to be a snowball effect, and right now there's only the demand on individual basises. And once, or basises, and once (laughs) once the team starts getting to these bowl games or goes eight, nine wins in a season or starts vying for Pac-12 championships, I think every single game will become a hot ticket because people will realize like basketball, oh, I can't see the CU basketball team play Kansas. I guess I'll have to settle for them playing Oregon. Mm-hmm. It's true. I'm, I'm with you, Shep. I, I, I hate to continue to bring in uh, these you know, comparisons, but I was watching some Notre Dame football. They took on UMass, and it was at home uh, in South Bend, and that place was packed. First of all, everyone was wearing the same T-shirt. They have that green spirit shirt every year, and it was so cool because not just the student section was wearing it. I mean, it's not like, oh, we're going to do a blackout or something once a, once a year. No, every single Saturday that they play down in, in, in Notre Dame, it's incredible. And like, playing against a team, like Massachusetts, the same team where we played, the game's like 60 to 14 and every seat is full. Because mm-hmm. it's about the experience of being there yep. on a Saturday. It's about... But you can compare too. South Bend to Boulder and the stadiums to you each can. other. And, and here's the thing. Yours is sustained losing. Change that, though. And and look, I'm, I am the poster child for, for reasons why... Like fans don't show up to these games. Be, no, in the no, sense he's right. In the in the sense that I my personal belief is that 
it's more than winning and losing. While that's a big thing, there's also a, a bunch of different aspects of it. Um, but sustained losing makes your experience kind of suck. And I know that going, you know, you go through the all-buffs board after that loss against Oregon, and, you know, you can tell that people get frustrated about that sort of thing. And, and a lot of fans and students were frustrated about it because it was a win that was attainable. And now you look at Kenny Olegbody out for four to six weeks. Um, Ryan Severson and Rick Gamboa will be the starting linebackers against Arizona State that handle a trio of running backs that are really good in Kalen Balaj, Demario Richard, and DJ Foster that you have to imagine that despite it being homecoming weekend, if this loss turns out the way we think it will, then then you're going to have another attendance frustration for Arizona. You know, I want to go back to your point of people not wanting to show up, especially in the student body. When I was in the student section last Saturday, I ran into a conversation where a guy was tell- talking to a girl, telling him, her to come to this party and saying, yo, I really want to have this party, but I can only have this party if the Buffs win, so I guess I'm rooting for the Buffs to win because what? I want a party. Like, that's that's what it is. And you know that there's always going to be but that in college, but that's what it is right now. People are more interested in other things, not not just the football. People are more interested in the atmosphere, in the environment, in, in campus affairs rather than the football. And, you know, if you can bring that party atmosphere back to football, it's a cheap way of getting students true. back in the seat, seats. And, and that'll work. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, we're forced to watch football. Better, you know, know that Sefa Lufa is the starting quarterback. Well, yeah. Jake, you know this better than anyone. At the height of the C unit at Coors Event Center, it wasn't called the best student section in college basketball. It was called the best party in student, you know, in student sections, right? It's the best party in college basketball, right? Yeah. That's what it was, and, and it really is. It's a really fun atmosphere to be involved with. It's inclusive. You know, every, every single free throw, they're doing a new crazy dance or yeah. some kind of crazy atmosphere. They had the luau game last year, which was absolutely ridiculous. They had blow up trees in the student section, like you know. People aren't always going to be interested in the sports, and I get that. You know, it's hard for 20,000 people that are on this campus as undergrads to all be interested in football or basketball. Not everyone's us three, and I understand that. Mm -hmm. But if you can get someone interested in joining something that's bigger than them, something that's fun, something that's inclusive – why not? You know, and right now we're sitting at, what, 7,000 student tickets for – the the athletics program and there's about seven thousand there at the Oregon game or whatever they were saying Rick mm-hmm. George was saying, you know there's ten thousand seats available and that's half the student body. You have to find a way to appeal to half the student body Which is a, to fill your student order, section. Man, that's a tall tall. Hold on, order. hold on, hold on. Ten thousand is roughly a third. About a third, yeah. Because we yeah, have under, undergrads, undergrads. Yeah, we have like twenty-seven thousand undergrads. Like, no, we have like thirty-four thousand undergrads. There's some like that. We I, have more than thirty thousand. Either way, it's, a, it's a lofty expectation. The ballpark of undergrad and grad, I always thought was around thirty thousand, in between thirty and thirty-five. No, um, because you remember how like this freshman class was the largest incoming class of all time, and they well, keep getting bigger. Google it. You got a laptop with you? Keep dropping <laughs> out too. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just there's a lot of factors at play, and it was really interesting to to get Mr. George's perspective because it's a perspective that you don't hear very often, but it's also very reassuring to know that your athletic director really does want to win. You know, it's a different perspective because you know I've been in some of these 
boardroom meetings or where, where the battles are done in the How'd trenches. How did you get into those? Uh, well, sneak well, in? on a smaller scale, a very smaller, smaller scale <laughs> uh, back last year. And it's very interesting to see how things are done. The athletic program knows about most of the problems that the fans bring up. And they're trying to find ways to solve it. But there are so many issues at play with the issues you guys bring up Mm -hmm. that they have to mend these bridges that are so profound and hard that really are more easily mendable by the football team just winning games. Yep. It would make life a lot easier, wouldn't it? I was down at Cherry Creek High School uh, this last week, and I was talking with some of the people that are in charge of their student section. And, you know, uh, one of the guys was talking to me. He said, I'm not a football fan, but, boy, I'll tell you, life's a lot easier for a lot of people when the football team's winning. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, it's the same way up at CU. It's the same yeah. way at every campus, high school and college around, you know, the country. So yep. 640 on Radio 1190, KVCU Boulder. Coming up in five minutes, BG Brooks from CUBuffs.com, longtime uh, Rocky Mountain news writer, will be joining us. Uh, truth be told, we got a brand new phone system in our studio this afternoon uh unbeknownst so to me <laughs> right so i i Not ran through <laughs> i ran through there's a chance there's, there's a small so chance. you're saying there's so you're saying there's a chance i ran through with our engineer this afternoon and toby uh, ninus lloyd christmas so you're saying there's <laughs> tried to. so bg brooks should be joining us in one way or another hopefully at 6 45 so if you have any questions for bg uh please tweet them in at us a underscore G underscore Hobner at Chapalicious at Joe Paris, or you can email me, uh, Joe, J O E, at radio1190.org. And I know that. There's a good contingent of you that are listening to this uh, when it is not live up on our SoundCloud, and I encourage you to still send questions and uh, stuff to us on Twitter and email. We can answer them on Monday night show. Uh, we're trying to get Neil Wolk on Monday night to join us, so we're trying. I mean, we're going to have a big week next week. We're going to have uh, some really assuming, good programming. Assuming we get who we want to book, it'll be a very good week next week. Joe, you're going to like this reference. You okay. could say our shows are going back to back. Da, 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 da. Dude, how do you think Drake's doing right now? He's probably crying about the Maple Leafs. I feel like Dude, Drake, it's the curse. I feel like it's Drake's the curse. already on the Texas Rangers bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. I can see it. I'm actually I'm glad we didn't have Rick George live because I would have definitely made a comment about <laughs> how I hate the Rangers, and that would have been really awkward. That probably, yeah, probably. So speaking of of just outer news, um, before we kind of dive into ASU and CU football and basketball a little more with BG, um, Jim Miller is. Uh, one of the most, I would say, respected writers in terms of um, reporting on media. He was the author of ESPN's Tell All Book. Those guys have all the fun. Um, just an unrelated tweet from some CU stuff, but for some of you that um, keep up with uh, Grantland, Bill Simmons, and the whole debacle that's gone on between him and ESPN, Jim Miller put out a tweet about a half hour ago saying, four highly regarded Grantland staffers turned in resignations today to ESPN and will be going to work for Bill Simmons at HBO, which is a pretty big upheaval when you consider uh, how good Grantland is. And if Zach Lowe is among that group that is going, um, then it's really it's really going to be something. Or um, you look at a guy like Jonah Carey, who has just taken the baseball world by storm. Yeah, He's fantastic. Exactly. Or Ben Lindbergh, same on that baseball beat. Yep, Grantland has always been a very interesting uh, place because the quality of writing has been so good. But the one thing that everyone has said about it is that Simmons was really the straw that stirred the drink. And the big reason for them pulling people away was that uh, – he needed to. He needed too much, and ESPN wasn't willing to give him what he asked for. Um, but if his staffers were more loyal to him well, than they are to ESPN. Uh, that's, that's the point I'm going to make. Yeah. Um, you know, before we bring on BG, it's if, if if you take those staffers and you bring them over to HBO, Grantland is in a lot lot of trouble. You're tuning in Radio 1190 KVCU. Are the moment of truth. 
Uh, we should have BG Brooks with us. BG, can you hear me? I can. Oh, my God, it worked. Okay, BG, we got a brand-new phone system this <laughs> afternoon, and we didn't know if it was going to work, but we were really glad it did. And now joining us is BG Brooks from CUBuffs.com. Uh, he also longtime writer for the Rocky Mountain News. I used to spread out the post and the Rocky Mountain News next to each other every morning before I went to school. And, of course, Mr. Brooks was a guy I read growing up. So, I mean, a real privilege to have you on tonight. Well, thank you. Privilege to be on. Uh, we'll just start out. We'll just uh, get a feel for things. Uh, BG, what do you think about the performance for uh, for Colorado against Oregon? I mean, there's a lot of people that said, hey, they played a really good first half. That's good enough. And others were really disappointed. Well, I, I think uh, I, I think the people who you know take some solace in saying that they both played a good first half are right. But on the other hand, uh, CU didn't finish. And CU committed errors, turnovers in the second half that really cost them a night that could have turned out really well for the program, the fan base, Mike McIntyre, Sefo Lufau, everyone involved. And uh, you know, it was just it was just another night where I thought, you know, in, in retrospect, that it, it took some of the luster off the last three weeks that it built up after the Hawaii loss. And the Buffs have got to get over a game like this. They've got to get past a game like this where they have an opportunity to do so much good for themselves, but don't take advantage of it. You know, I'm not saying Oregon was not a was not a decent team, not a great team by any stretch. But Oregon had some athletes Oregon came in here knowing what it had to do to bounce back from that horrendous loss to Utah. But, you know, from my perspective, that might be, there might not be another really better chance in Boulder for CU to beat Oregon. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. So, BG, um, you know, there's a lot of fans out there that really think that, uh, the frustration of losing to Oregon actually is just frustration of losing to Hawaii, and it's just carrying over because of the Oregon loss. Uh, is that a statement that, that you would agree with, or do you think that the frustration after the Oregon loss is warranted the way that it's been? Well, I can, I can see that. I mean, I can see CU's two losses being, being very frustrating in very similar ways. Uh, Hawaii was certainly not the team that Oregon was, but at the same time, the stakes were as high. The stakes were as high against Oregon as they were against Hawaii for the Buffs. BG, Jake Shapiro here. Uh, You know, you're very close to this program, and I want to know your feeling on this. You know, the CSU was a different win for this program, a win they haven't gotten in a long time. They, they won a close game, you know, that they pulled out, and Oregon was a game that was going to be an upset bid. Do you see this team having the capabilities to upset a team, a major program, maybe like a USC later in the season? I think the capability is there, but I think they've got to build up to it. I think, uh, you know, over the next several weeks – the Buffs have got to get it together, and the Buffs have got to, you know, really, really show that they they are capable of winning a big ball game, of winning any ball game in the Pac-12. As a matter of fact, so 
you know, if if CU doesn't really take charge one of these weekends and do what it takes to win one of these games, uh, you know, it's it's going to be another very long Pac-12 season. And, you know, a lot of people were really excited with what happened against the Oregon, uh, you know, what happened at, well, against Oregon. A lot of people say that's like one of the highlights of CU football in the last five, six years. There's also a contingent that say after Colorado loses on that stage, it really pulls the sail out of the winds. Do you think the loss to Oregon really, I mean, slowed down momentum or do you think, you know, it's business as usual after that? Well, I hope that it uh, hope that it didn't slow down momentum. I hope that uh, the Buffs see some things in that game that they did well enough to capitalize on them on it. But uh, you know, it's it's just it's it's not feasible, I think, to not look at the Oregon loss and say that uh, you know everything was rosy coming out of that ball game. The chances were there; they didn't capitalize. So when you look at this Arizona State game coming up, uh, you know you have Ryan Severson and Rick Gamboa as your starting linebacker core, which is concerning a lot of people with his, uh, with Arizona State's pretty potent running game. Do you think that this is going to be even something remotely close? Because my gut is that after watching Royce Freeman dismantle Colorado's run defense, Arizona State and Todd Graham are just going to take that model and say, all right, Demario Richard, Kalen Balaj, and, and D.J. Foster, just go have at it. Yeah, I think Todd Graham would really be uh, remiss not to, to take a look at what Oregon did in the running game against the Buffs and, and follow it. I think that, you know, uh, it's a it's a terrific, terrific running game. And I think Mike Perkovici is not a bad quarterback either. BG, we've seen Sefo Lufau struggle since getting his shoulder injury against CSU. We've seen him uh, have flashes of him looking like his old self from last year, making great throws like he made to Nelson Spruce on the near sidelines uh, late in the game against Oregon. Do you think that Sefo has the, you know, can be the guy that he was in the past? You know, this year he he's looked like a completely different quarterback this year. No, no question about that. I'm, and I'm going to comment on one thing that Larry Zimmer said when I was on with KOA on pregame last Saturday night, and that was that really what Sefo has got to do now, he's got to step up and show that he can win a big ball game. And, you know, so far what I've seen from him, he's, he's not shown that. He's shown that he can keep a team close, but – he doesn't do the things to make the buffs finish or to allow the buffs to finish. So that's what he's got to do. You know, there's, there's uh, no question that he's, he's a capable quarterback and he set records last year, but he's got to, he's got to get going and, and fast. A lot of eyes have obviously been on Coach Mike McIntyre and uh, some of his conduct on the sideline. Of course, after uh, Joe Tumpkin drew a penalty, Coach Mack, I mean, he grabbed him and started shoving him. It looked like, you know, maybe Mack's finally losing his cool. Do you think he's got, I mean, pretty good control over what's going on right now, or has he kind of been, I mean, hung himself out to dry? I think he's in control. I think he's he's no doubt feeling the pressure. Uh, but I think he's got a handle on what's going on. And, you know, we, we don't know what the circumstances were with Joe Tumpkin and that 15-yard penalty and what was said and so forth. But there was no question that that penalty hurt the Bucks in that, in that uh, Oregon scoring drive. So 
you know, McIntyre did not react the way that probably the CU administration would want him to react on national TV. But nonetheless, he did it. Uh, kudos to him for coming out and, you know, making the statement that he did last Tuesday, apologizing and saying it wouldn't happen again. Uh, you know, one of the things that wasn't brought up was that Mike McIntyre chased an official off the field in in year one in Folsom Field. And, uh, you know, so he's he's got a temper. You know, he can flare up at times, and he's got to keep it under control. Yeah, and, you know, Co- Coach Mack, I, I think a lot of us know he's – He's a very uh, competitive guy, a very, very passionate guy. Um, but the I think a lot of people kind of freaked out on Tuesday when Coach Mack talked about his team having the best Tuesday practice they've ever had after a loss. And, uh, you know, that's something that was in the uh, Dan Hawkins PR playbook. Does, that, does a statement like that uh, kind of – make you wonder if if the team is heading down a similar road here or is it just one of those really benign comments of maybe they just had a good Tuesday practice well um, uh, you know I would hope that uh, it was a benign comment and I hope that certainly you know the Bucks aren't heading down that hawk path but uh, that's that's one of the things that I think you have to give a coach the benefit of the doubt and and say that uh, you know if it was a great Tuesday practice, he had every right to say it. So, you know, let's hope that that was the case. Let's hope that they had really great Wednesday and Thursday practices too. Mac looks like a guy right now who's who's all in on this season and, and, and will do anything for this team to really get over the hump. And, you know, maybe it's not a bowl game with six or seven wins, but, you know, getting a few big wins, whether that be a conference win or a conference win on the road, is the real big goals this season, let alone, you know, the goals they kind of set way too high from themselves, like the Rose Bowl that we saw in fall camp. But, you know, they got a stable group of running backs, and that's, that's what we saw their goal is. They're going to run guys. They're going to run down teams' throats if they have the ability to. And Michael Adkins and Patrick Carr have gotten hurt, and their offensive line has struggled. Do you think we will see the Buffs return to that strong running game we saw early in the season? I think so. I, I think that uh, you know it's, it's going to take these guys who are hurt getting well. Now you know we know we know all know that we've lost Jeremy Irwin at left tackle for the year, and and Sam uh, Cronchag is. You know, he he looked to me to be a capable replacement. Now, he's got to get well from that concussion and come back. But uh, the O-line has got to hold up, and the running backs who are out now with injuries have got to come back. If that doesn't happen, then, uh, you know, when you go through the rest of the season trying to use a patchwork offensive line and plug in healthy running backs, maybe we don't see it come back to the to the uh, level that it was in the first three ball games but it's imperative that a running game is established and particularly with Cepho struggling Cepho struggling you know it's it's, it's got to happen before we wrap up football, we'll, uh, we'll leave it here. The next eight weeks, Colorado has four top 25 opponents. They have, I mean, the thick of the Pac-12 schedule uh, right now. What is your outlook on the final eight weeks of the season? Well, I hope, I hope they can sneak out a win or two or three in, uh, you know, in those last eight weeks. I think, as you know, you know, a bowl did for bold eligibility is going to it hinges on them winning four more games so 
can they win four more for half of the last eight games? That's a tall order, particularly in the Pac-12 South. So, you know, I, I you know, you never say never. If if things fall right, they're going to have to fall very right. You know, maybe they can win four of the last eight, but. I don't think, uh, you know, if you were a guy in Vegas, I don't think you would say that the odds were good on that. So I I just hope that they can find some momentum, they can win a a couple of games, build on that, and, you know, say, uh, you know, we did make improvement. You know, I think there's kind of a general consensus here that Washington State and Oregon State are really those two Pac-12 wins that are very realistic and in the cards for Colorado. Are there any others that you could see potentially happening in this next uh, eight-game stretch? And for for those one or two, uh, why do you think CU has such a good chance in them? Well, you know, you gotta you got to remember, too, that uh, the folks at Oregon State and Washington State are probably having this this kind of conversation right now and looking at Boulder and saying, you know, Colorado is one of the wins that we can count on. So, you know, I, I don't think those are gimmies. I think those are the most, probably the most legitimate that you can, uh, that you can count on. But there again, you know, there, there's nothing that's a gimmick. Uh, as far as the others, CU is going to be in in every game except those two, and maybe in those two, CU is going to go in as an underdog. So, you know, they're going to have to be upset along the way. I'd love to see them upset USC in here on a Friday night in November, but uh, you know, that's that's would be a big upset. I think if Colorado can just get one, I mean, signature win, they'll have a lot to grow on for next year. But as you mentioned, the next eight weeks will be tough. So uh, we will definitely see how that plays out. Uh, real quickly, before we let you go, BG, uh, let's chat a little bit about some basketball. Uh, how much have you? Uh, how much you've been keeping up with the Buffs in the off season? I've kept up with them, uh, you know, kind of from the periphery. Uh, I have. You know, certainly I've talked to people in the program. I've talked, uh, you know, to some trainers about XJ and his injury. Um, but, you know, I haven't, I haven't made daily visits to the basketball office in the off season. So, BG, when you when you look at this team, I mean, is you know, it's been you've been on, a bit on the periphery, but um, has there anything? Is there anything you've seen or heard that would that would lead you to believe that this is going to be a very different team than the one we saw and the one many fans were disappointed with last year? Well, I think I think you probably start with Dom Collier and the weight he's put on, and the, you know how much he's grown, and things that people say about him going into a leadership role and and really being the kind of point guard that you need to play in the Pac-12. Um, I'm anxious to get a look at the two Europeans um, and, and just see what they bring to the table. Uh, Josh Scott. Uh, you know, I, I hope that his back injury problems are behind him. Uh, Wesley Gordon, I'm hoping that he gets a little bit more aggressive offensively. So, yeah, I, I think there's there's reason for hope there. Um, you know, and you know, frankly, this is a season that that Pat and these guys have to rebound. You know, BG, last year, as Andrew said, was just so disappointing from, you know, everyone's perspective towards CU. And I think, like you said, a lot of the season will rely on Xavier Talton and Dominique Collier. 
but they need to put the ball in the hoop. And Josh Fortune, a transfer coming in this year, is you know a guy they're going to rely on heavily to do that. Uh, do you think the Buffs' outlook looks a little bit better from that perspective of getting the ball into the basket? I think so, and I think uh, you know Josh Fortune might be a, a good reason for that. He's uh, he's from what everything I've seen in practice last season, he's a guy that can really shoot it. And, you know, he I would classify him as a pure shooter. In fact, I did a story on him last year, and he said he wouldn't classify himself as a pure shooter, but I think Ted Boyle does. So Josh can, Josh can shoot it. Now, you know, he can't do it all by himself. So he's got to have guys like X Talton and Dom and, uh, you know, the, the two European guys, they've got to help them fill it up. So, you know, that that's going to be a major focal point when they start play. So, BG, before we let you go, um, you know, I, I've been wanting to ask you, now that the travel has kind of been, been delegated over to Neil Wolk and, and the rest of the CUBus.com staff, what do you do in your free time nowadays? Is it just kind of <laughs> hanging out, hit the links? You know, what kind of stuff you do aside from right? No, I'm not a I'm not a links guy. I'm more of a uh, stand in the river and wave that fly rod kind of guy. So uh, that's that's been occupying some time. And uh, you know, you'll find out later when you're a homeowner that there's always something to be done. You know, around the home, getting ready for winter, cleaning up after summer, all those things. So. There's enough to occupy the time, trust me. Well, I think uh, Coach Levitt would love to go into the river with you. Coach Jim Levitt, he's a big fan of the uh, the creek down there, so maybe you'll ask him to go fishing with you sometime. I, you know, I've seen him sitting in the creek. I think probably I should just give him a fly rod and say, go to it. Just see what happens there. <laughs> That's well, right. <laughs> well, Mr. Brooks, thank you so much for joining us here on Friday Night Live. It's always a, a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, I mean, I know all of us have been reading you for many years, so oh, yeah. uh, really appreciate the, I mean, the great work. I mean, the, the baseline knowledge for all my CU buffs is, is through you, so I, I owe it to you. Well, Thanks, BG. You've got to, you've got to raise the bar, but go ahead. Oh, we'll try, we'll try. <laughs> BG Brooks from cubuffs.com. BG, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you, guys. Thanks, BG. Radio 1190. The bars have been raised and the sales have been lowered. <laughs> 702 on Radio 1190. KBC Boulder. Joe Paris, Andrew Hobner, Jake Shapiro with you on Friday night. Uh, BG is one of the nicest guys. You know, when you come up through student media, there are some some reporters from the real world that will take you seriously and some won't give you the time of day. And BG, Depends on how good you are. <laughs> BG has always been very nice to myself and all the other CU student media members. He's, I mean, he's a great guy. He used to read him when he was uh, you know at the Rocky Mountain News and I mean he, he's a really cool guy if you don't know BG you should yeah and you know I, I worked uh, I worked as a CUBuffs.com writer um, for a little over a semester last year and, and BG was my immediate editor and you really don't see someone um, have such a great grasp of writing uh, on you know to be on this level of, of writing for teams and it's been decades of writing for the Rocky Mountain News and other publications of his, uh, you know, from Tennessee all the way out to Colorado. And the amount that I learned under him was enormous. I mean, not just how to be uh, a better writer, a better member of the press, um, just like a better person in general. Uh, he's 
he really is uh, he's an impressive guy, and it's always good that you can still kind of catch him in the Folsom press box every now and then. The thing that sticks out with you with BG, and you know, this is basically my story on him rather than you kind of with all the adjectives. Um, you know, he does preach word economy. He does. He'd he be does. very disappointed in me right now. You know, <laughs> when I when I was uh, getting into the Buffs beat earlier this year, obviously BG's been on the Buffs beat for a while, and I've been reading him for uh, forever. You know, before. Anyone else would even talk to me, he already knew my name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the kind of respect BG has towards anyone. If anyone's there and working their butts off, he sees it and says, you know what, I can give you enough credit, you know, I respect you. And that that's awesome to get the respect from a guy like BG. Yeah, and everybody cool respects guy. BG, too. He's just a nice guy, and he's extremely talented, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like it's just like, oh, he's a nice guy. Um, I just wanted to get to one thing real quickly. Appreciate uh, all the involvement. The AllBuffs.com uh, forums have, I mean, contributed to this show. You guys ask great questions. You guys keep us engaged. And uh, I scroll through. We obviously do read it. And, I mean, there are so many questions that you guys asked that I wanted to get to. Uh, one that did strike my attention came from uh, the user Buffsint76. And his question was, what? It was for Rick George. His question was, what non-football event would you like to see occur at Folsom in 2016? And to me, that's like a really – it's a good question because a lot of times you don't have like stadium events at Folsom Field, and you really could. I mean, I remember last year we were shooting pie in the sky. We'd say, oh, you know how cool to have like an outdoor hockey game at Folsom Field. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the logistics about that, but it'd be really cool to see some other events at Folsom. You know, from our Avs guy, BSN Denver's Avs guy, A.J. Hayfley, I was talking with him about this, you know, the other night, and he said if all goes well in these outdoor games for both the Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche in the stadium series, it's really a good feel-out to see who would host the Winter Classic in 2016. And obviously Folsom Field would be one of the sites. I think Mile High would probably take precedent over Folsom Field. I don't think but you could fit 70,000. No, you wouldn't. You know, but you don't need 70,000. You know, they've, they've played them at baseball fields. They've played, 40, they've played in front of 42,000 the Winter Classic. I think they're just trying to find the, the best venue possible. And, you know, I, I think another event would be really cool is, you know, when I was, what, in seventh or sixth grade, I was going to see the County Crows at oh, wow. Folsom Field, <laughs> but they canceled it due to some uh, some compliance issues. But Folsom Field used to have concerts all the time. They used to have Dave Matthews has a great live album from Folsom Field, you know, Kiss, uh, you know, Rolling Stones have played here. The, the list goes on. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very established list. And, you know, you got you got Red Rocks right there, and you'd probably rather play at Red Rocks, but you can't fit twenty. You know, can't, you can't fit forty thousand people in Red Rocks. And if you want to play in a beautiful establishment, Folsom Field's right here. So I'd really like to see some great concerts come back to Folsom Field. Yeah, you know what? The the sound isn't great when you're playing in a big venue, mm-hmm. but if you're going to play in a big venue, why not play at Folsom Field rather than at Sports Authority Field? So I, I'd love to see a, a, a great concert at Folsom Field. Yeah, unfortunately, that I only had that 10-minute window to talk to him. There were a couple other questions that I really did want to get to, but that one was the one that I was kind of kicking myself or not at least trying to slip in there because the whole concept of doing concert venues at Folsom is a really – A, it's a great idea. Um, B, it's happened – a lot in the past and see I think it would drag more attention to Folsom on a more consistent basis I think without it we kind of just think of it as CU football it's CU's football stadium that's yeah. that's what it is it's nothing else it's at this not point. Folsom field the way that I honestly would think of Folsom right. field when I was in high school because 
back then, uh, D, you know, Dave Matthews Band had their concert there. It was one of the last concerts that had ever been at Folsom. And that was, was 2001, too. Yeah. And I, but I was, the first concert I ever went to was Dave Matthews Band in Central Park with my parents back in like 02, 03. So I was a big DMB fan. And so DMB at Folsom, like that was what I thought about Folsom when I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, Colorado football and Dave Matthews Band. And I know, you know? indoor basketball stadium venues are different with Coors, yep. but Coors gets utilized all the time. There's the Republican National Debate coming here. Jane Goodall Inter- is here. Interesting that uh, Bernie Sanders is actually going to Potts Field instead well, of Well, that's because like actually Field. they tried to put him at Folsom Field, but there is a band camp going on that day. And originally, actually, I did the story this week. It was great. Bernie Sanders actually pulled out of his appearance because he right. couldn't get him at Folsom and he didn't want to do Mackey. And he pulled out of the appearance and there was such an uproar from the, the Boulder Bernie buddies, as I call them, that they're putting him at Potts Field. And if you're not familiar, Potts Field is where a lot of the track and field events are held. And it was actually one of the only open weekends all season. So Bernie's back if you wanted to see Bernie Sanders. Yeah, but he, that'll, be there. that'll be interesting. And, and I'd love to see Folsom host more events, whether it be political debates or lectures or just concerts or, you know, something. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to something. see something going on in Folsom Field. There was a, the women's lacrosse team played their first ever game as a D1 program, yep. I think, at Folsom Field. And that yeah. was even just a cool little event to see. You know, just utilize what you have. And what you have is beautiful rather than pushing it to the side. Well, the club lacrosse team, the men's team, uh, they play a game there every year. They, I mean, I mean, they beat the tar out of Utah last year, and it was. I remember that. It was pretty cool. I mean, just it's cool for the players on the field too. I'll be honest. There's probably. Three hundred people in the stands, but it was really cool for the athletes. And there's so many dates that Folsom Field is just empty. And I realize that it costs money to run programs in there, but there's so many dates again where you walk by and it's just empty and it's empty yeah. and it's empty. And it's like, well, I should put some things in there. And that's one of the reasons why you know, like things like golf and things like uh, football, you know, kind of irk me a little bit. Why don't those things? Why don't those facilities get used more often? You got a gigantic football stadium that hosts fifty thousand people and it's only being really utilized eight nine times a year. You know, I look at because I'm a baseball guy. I look at Coors Field. That's being u- utilized almost every single night in the summer or it's every a, single it, afternoon. It, it's, it's a different thing, yes. Well, it's but, not. I, I wouldn't say a different thing, but it's Denver versus Boulder. And I think that plays into it a little bit. But even uh, uh, Sports Authority Field doesn't get utilized. You know, it gets utilized probably 20 times a year. You know, it could be utilized so much more often. And I'd love to see them take what they have, these facilities, these gorgeous facilities, Mm -hmm. and really push them. And they can make Folsom Field a place where people want to come and not only to watch a football game, but to come see a concert and come see a debate or come see a lecture or come see, come see a political speech. Something that's just interesting, you know. And Boulder is interested in a lot of crazy things. So if you're willing to host events, you know, like the Boulder Boulder at Folsom Field, mm-hmm. that's great for CU. That's, that's another, the more Ingenuitive or inju- whatever word you want to use, the more creative. <laughs> the sales can, have been lowered. The sales have been lowered. The more creative you can get in your usage of Folsom Field, probably the better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Seven ten, Radio eleven ninety, KVC Boulder. We have somehow gotten through over an hour of the show without talking about a preview for Arizona State. Uh, let's talk about that briefly, and then we'll get into a little bit of college we basketball. A bit about it. Oh come on, we didn't even we didn't talk about it. You said I'm, DJ Foster's name is what you. I'm is. sorry, our guest list has been decent. Well, <laughs> we do we do apologize that we've had really good guests. No, we don't. Hashtag that's humble brag. Stupid. Yeah, uh, let's, let's not let's not do that. <laughs> I started that. I'm gonna end that. 
Anyway, Colorado tomorrow will take on the Arizona State Sun Devils at 8 p.m. Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Network. The Buffaloes will take on a team that is a very good team. And some people are thinking that this could be an absolute, I mean, shellacking of the Buffaloes. I mean, due to injuries, due to the team mentality. You have to go play down in Tempe, and it's really gross down there. Um, actually, it's a beautiful place. I love Tempe. But um, what do you guys think? I mean, is this, quote-unquote, a bounce-back week for Colorado, or are the Buffs going to fall to 500? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, Joe. I, the minute Coach Mack in his Tuesday press conference said Kenneth Olegbody is going to be out four to six weeks with that leg injury, I thought to myself, oh, my goodness. Uh, this is going to be trouble. Big Big trouble. And you could tell in the presser that Coach Mack is starting to feel the sting of of the injury bug a little bit. He's a little bit on edge that his depth positions are starting to get depleted. I talked to Coach Levitt um, two weeks ago right after the Nickel State game and said, you know, the depth is something new this year. And he goes, we're not that deep. We're, We're too deep at each position. And now you're starting to see why that's becoming such a big, big problem. And 13-week season, you knew it was going to happen. You knew that the injury bug was going to come, and you knew it was going to hit some of your best players. But in a situation that they're in now, I'm going to be pretty surprised if Arizona State doesn't blow Colorado out in this. Because you you also can't forget, Colorado's never beaten Arizona State. They're 0-6 against them all time. And Arizona State, when the game's in Tempe, plays well, and they play really well. The closest Colorado's ever come to beating Arizona State was last year when they only lost by 14. But, you know, you, you mentioned the injuries. In, in the, you thought preseason, the places Colorado can't get guys hurt. Quarterback, linebacker, offensive line, especially at the tackle positions. Yep. And where have they gone down? Those three spots. And right now, you're looking at a team that had Addison Gillum and Kenneth Ogilvode, two solid linebackers, two really solid linebackers that get the job done. Now you're looking at Rick Gamboa and Ryan Severson, who, you know, they're okay. They're good players, but, but they're, they're not yes. Pac-12 starting linebackers. Yes. And they're not going to be able to stop guys that Arizona State has, like D.J. Foster, for instance. But, because you like <laughs> saying D.J. Foster. What? Uh, I don't I don't. You, you do need this. This I'm is your home. show. I'm, I'm this guess. is my show. He's my guest. No, I'm just kidding. This is Andrew's show also. Uh, I want to say one thing. I was talking with CMCI All-Star Vinny Arvia, who is, uh, is an offensive lineman who plays. So whenever uh, you have a source inside the team, we know who it is. No, it's not always Vinny. I actually really talk to Vinny about sports because I know that's what everyone else talks to him about. So I'll ask him about weird things. Anyway, so I was talking with Vinny, though, this week when we were covering the Bernie Sanders thing. And. You know, we were talking about uh, the trip down to Tempe and how, uh, you know, what their travel plans were like. And he said, you know, oh, we'll go down to Tempe. You know, the team's ready to have a good time. They feel pretty loose. I said, really? He's like, yeah, they still think they can win every game. I said, are you kidding? He goes, no. And I think, I don't know if that's a, a sign of, you know, like we're being positive or if we're just straight delusional. But I like the attitude. You know, it's only one guy's uh, take on the whole thing. But I would say uh, Vinny is one of the only seniors on the team. I think he's got a pretty good gauge of what's going on in the locker room. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think that there is still a, a lot of hope in that locker room. Um, and you can tell by coach levitt's tweets that the coaches still have a lot of faith too obviously it's going to get shaken with games like these but this team isn't like the Embry teams where the minute they folded you just knew it was over you know it was like it's like that family guy joke about the new york mets where it's like here's the first pitch and the season's over like when when the Embry teams were coming through like the minute they hit adversity you knew that that was going to happen like 
first touchdown, the season's over for CU. Like, for, for this team... I still think there's wins in the tank. The Oregon loss was deflating, but it's not something that's, A, going to define this team, and it's also not something that's going to totally destroy this team for the rest of the season. Whether or not a win is attainable at Arizona State is up for debate. I personally think they're going to get killed. But Washington State is winnable. Oregon State is winnable. Those two games can put you somewhere, and then you can maybe steal one more away and get a five-win season, which, while it wasn't what people might have wanted, a five-win season at least shows you market progress. I think the faith in the, the fans is more important. I don't think you can even question the faith that the team has. I think the team has a lot of faith. I think the faith the fans have in this team is more important. I think the fans can't jump off the ship and be fire Mac, and then the next week we're going to a bowl, and then the next week fire Mac. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, like you just said, I think the Buffs are going to lose big this week. I don't think it's going to be close and you know what it might be close who knows i'm not i'm not you know i guess i kind of am an we're expert. not oracles <laughs> um we're but, not uh, we're not paul the octopus from the world cup no i drew soisher's dolphin oh um, dude do not they're mention not him dolphins on the show again. they're otters do not mention him on the show again <laughs> andrew and drew soisher's are best friends <laughs> no, so it's a conflict of interest if we talked about um that. but yeah oh, you, i think the fans need to be on board with this team and they have a solid chance of beating arizona next week on in homecoming or on homecoming in prime time that that's a really good chance mm-hmm. for this team to come out and finally get a solid Pac-12 win at home and if you're the fans you can't be jumping off the ship just because all of a sudden they lost to Oregon who is a really good program the team you and they went into Arizona to anyway, State yeah. and lost you know yeah. you, you can't jump off the ship because of that yeah well it's true and and Oregon was the team that we all expected to lose to at the beginning of the year. Um, we were still underdogs at home. Yeah. CU was still underdogs at home. Well, yeah. and the thing is, look, I understand the argument if you had told me that Vernon Adams was going to be the starting quarterback and he was going to be bad and you were going to put in Jeff Lockie and, and Taylor Ali to be your starter uh, at the beginning of the season, I would have told you CU had a chance. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty, and and that's the way the, the cookie tends to crumble. Arizona, you are right, Shep, has a potential for upset on it. That would probably be the one game on the season that I would I would at least circle for potential upset the way that you know you could have done with Oregon last week, mostly because um, Arizona's whole defense revolves around Scrappy Doo and when uh, <laughs> no? Scooby Wright. That was the joke. Yeah, but it wasn't a good <laughs> joke. <laughs> anyway, the the whole the whole Arizona defense revolves around Scooby Wright, and when Scooby's not healthy, then Arizona State's defense falters. Arizona State's defense, on the other hand, is a heavy blitzing scheme. And with two left tackles out, Nembot most likely moving over to that left tackle spot, and Sefo really having no protection in the second half against Oregon, it makes you a little bit nervous because Sefo isn't made a steal. I mean, he's going to get hurt at some point if he takes the lumps. Hurt. Well, yeah, but I mean, if he takes the lumps that he was taking against Oregon in that second half, which out two left tackles and against a heavy blitzing defense, I could see happening, then there's cause to really be concerned about what's coming next for the season. Because if Sefo goes down, you know, we, we talked to, me and Ryan talked about it after the Oregon game. He said, all the people on my Twitter timeline that ask what's beneath them are going to realize that's why you don't see what is beneath Sefo. And I agree completely. You can't afford to lose him. And against a blitzing scheme defense like Arizona State, it's worrisome, to say the least. Yeah, you know, we were sitting in that media lunch, and 
eating lunch, uh, surprisingly. Oh, that's uh, really? That's what we were doing. Oh, I thought you guys played cards every yeah. Tuesday, Mahjong or something. We're sitting there reading the game notes, uh, the Arizona State game notes, and we were just looking at each other and we we're like, okay, Arizona State's got this this defensive position. They got these defensive position. They're called like the pitchfork, the devil, the sun. They're called all these fancy things because they play this hybrid defense that blitzes a lot. Andrew mentioned it. You know, they, they were one of the best tackles for a losses team in the entire country, and they were really good at getting to the quarterback, querying the quarterback, sacking the quarterback. And this is really, a you know, last week we talked about it, it was kind of almost a dream scenario for the Buffs with Vernon Adams getting hurt and the game being on mm-hmm. prime time and all that. This could almost be a nightmare situation for the Buffs. Just everything going in this game is not looking like it's going to end up in the Buffs' favor. And, you know, when we were looking at each other at the lunch and we were kind of all giving each other the uh-oh, uh, you know, this, this week might not be too pretty for the Buffs. And, you know, I think Mike McIntyre and the way he approached his Tuesday press conference and the way he's approached talk, kind of talking this week, you know, it, it's been, you know, we we know we're going to try and put up an effort. We're going to try and go in there and compete. And I, I think that's a really important thing for this team to do, which they've been doing, is compete, you know, not fall down, you know, by 30 points, which, you know, I think they're probably going to lose by 30 points, 28 points. But if they can sharpen that gap to, you know, 14 points again and, you know, you say, oh, we lost by 14 at home last year to Arizona State, then we went on the road with half our team hurt and we only lost by 14 points. Yeah, you know, it's not a moral victory. They're not getting moral victories anymore. But that that you can mark that down as, you know, that's a positive for the team. Well, the one thing that uh, I wanted to ask, I'm sorry, Joe, I took that one away from you. (laughs) The the one thing that uh, you know, I did ask Coach Mack in the Tuesday presser was, what's, what's it going to take now? You've proved you can close out against CSU, albeit it was a lot closer than what I would hope closing out against CSU would be, but this team still hasn't closed out against a Pac-12 team yet, and there's still a ways to go, in my opinion. This week, I don't even think there's going to be an opportunity to do that. Ryan Severson and Rick Ambo, you'll see you'll see occasional plays out of them, but in a sustained four-quarter game, they're just not there. Talent-wise, they're just not there yet. Forget the talent, just the leadership aspect. We saw Rick Gamboa sc- struggling to get the play calls in and, and just adjusting the defense correctly against Oregon last week. Well, I, it really doesn't hurt that Addison Gillum has made a glass. Uh, I mean, there's there were issues last year about his motivation and, and what you know he really wanted to be doing. Um, but this year... By all accounts, he came back and was very excited to be a part of this team and wanted to kind of right some of the wrongs that happened last year, and he ended up with the knee injury. He got his knee scoped a couple weeks ago, um, and we still really haven't heard all that much on him. So losing him was big. Losing Kenny Olegbody is now bigger, and it's really just a problem of the injury bug, a problem with depth, and it makes you kind of sit back and wonder what would have happened if uh, Eli Rodriguez, who is now in the depth chart at Texas, had stuck around and come to Boulder. We'd be playing Saturday. Yeah, he probably would be. 721 Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. Um, Unless you guys are dying to say something else, I say we wrap up uh, Arizona State, talk a little about some volleyball soccer updates, and uh, we'll we'll finish off the show. Also, some basketball, too. We'll end up with Jace Johnson reclassifying what what you just told me. One quick thing before we go away from football. This is a football, unrelated football note. I think we need to put out a disclaimer that all writers – well, for every sport that are facing Arizona State Athletics, K 
cannot use the title Dance with the Devil because I was that curious. That was Ryan's headline last yeah, year. Ryan, it's been done. It's too much. Every si- I went through and looked. There are hundreds of articles entitled Dance with the Devil from the, <laughs> the opposing team, the opposing team's preview for something against Arizona State. It's been done in the club level. It's been done at the NCAA level. It's been done at every level. And we, gotta, we just got to stop. It's too much. Like, it's too easy. Like, we get it. Hashtag stop dance with the devil. Stop dance we with have the devil. Moved from stop sco and stop, are now dance, with the stop devil. dance with the devil. Because guess what? I personally, I've done it twice, and I'm ashamed of myself. And you know what? I'm not calling specific writers out here because there's thousands of writers that I'm have done it. I'm calling you out, RK. I'm calling you out. I'm Joe. not calling RK out. I didn't. That's even the know. last thing you'd ever want to do. I'm not calling RK out. I was I was vouching for RK. I was saying that he was the best dressed man in the press box, and that I'm honored to have the exact same Twitter avatar as he does. How about those uh, white? socks Hovner's got on right now. They're this, not the white tie. socks. They are dress socks that are striped. They are this white. They're very white. They're 723 very white. on Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. Let's beige. do some real quick University beige. of Colorado <laughs> soccer and volleyball updates. Uh, both the soccer team and the volleyball team had Oregon road trips this last week. Uh, one team did really well. One team did less than well. The soccer team went 0-2. They go up to uh, Eugene uh, and they play Oregon and they lose one nothing. And then two days later they get to go play in Corvallis at Oregon State, and they lose that one to nothing. Now, to get off the losing streak, uh, they actually tied in double overtime this afternoon with Washington. And uh, we had Danny Sanchez on the show a, fr- a few weeks ago. And, you know, I'd love to have him on again maybe uh, next week or the week after to talk about what he thinks about that road trip to Oregon because that was brutal. Well, you know, the thing about Colorado soccer is they were 7-2-1 going into Pac-12 play and had just uh, defeated Cal in what was a really great overtime game. Double Cal, overtime game. Yeah, Cal was a team that beat them 4 nothing last year, and they come back, and Emily Paxton gets a game-winning header to bring the Buffs uh, to victory in that regard. Oregon and the Oregon schools have never really been great women's soccer powerhouses, but the Pac-12 is kind of topsy-turvy this year. UCLA, who is a perennial power in women's soccer. Sydney LaRue, for those of you who follow the U.S. women's national team, Lauren Holiday, they're both UCLA grads. UCLA uh, went deep into the tournament last year. They're 5-6 and six this year. Stanford is the big team to watch in the Pac-12 this season. Um, and at 7-4-1, and one, Colorado is sitting in the middle of the pack right now. So that Oregon weekend really, really hurts them now that they're sitting at 1-2 and two in conference play. The next thing that comes up is... Uh, taking care of Washington State, really riding the ship because the team is good. Um, there just is a big there's, – there's a lack of execution in that final third, the final ball never really making it uh, to where it wants to be and um, just holding the ball too much at the feet uh, when you're inside the 18 is, is a really big issue that CU has had this season. So they – I think they'll, they'll rebound. Um, and winning and getting the UCLA win monkey off the back is big because they haven't done that in a while. Um, but this is still a tournament team. Absolutely. They they went to the Sweet 16 last year. They lost to UNC. Um, yeah. Uh, Two years ago. Not last year. Was last, it? They didn't go to the Sweet 16 oh, last year. They went year. to the second round last year, yeah. and they ended up losing. Your, yeah. yeah, they went to the second round ended up losing to UNC. The prior year, they... Had they defeated BYU and upset them to go into the Sweet 16. That was 16. awesome. And to yeah. me, you know, taking a look at that team from two years ago, this team has got a lot of things going for it. But I love to play the game. Could this team beat this team? I think this team could beat last year's team and the years before 
that because yeah. you know it's, there's a lot of talent on this team and there's a lot of offense. There's a lot of good defense too, and I know that you know Bree Hooks is my girl, but I mean she is tearing it up right now. She, I, I mean, mean she's going to be making post collegiate soccer roster very oh, quickly. Most likely, most likely. I mean the nice thing about about her is that um, she's been a scoring machine since she came to camp as a freshman year, um, but. The biggest problem for Colorado is the fact that they are out a little bit of their you know, back four strength. Tori Cooper, Brooke Rice both graduated last year. Kalia Hogg, who is slated to be a starter, um, has been injured uh, for a couple games. Um, so there's a lot of freshmen in there. There's a lot of growing pains to be had. In the Pac-12, it's like playing in the SEC or the Pac-12 for football. I mean, there is not, in my opinion, a better Soccer, women's soccer. Oh, it's not conference. even close. Well, it, it is. It's close. Between, I don't think. I think the Big Ten's good. It's the ACC and the Pac-12. Well, the Big are the Ten's two good too. The ACC bring the ACC and the Pac-12 probably split in terms of how many women's soccer players they sent to the World Cup and on that uh, World Cup winning gold medal team. Um, but Colorado's there's there's a lot of potential for them. Volleyball, on the other hand, they have been playing really really great. Uh, they dropped two away um, against Utah. And I think the other one was against Arizona. Um, they dropped those two, and people were wondering if they were going to bounce back, if that hole left by Taylor Simpson uh, was really big at that outside hitter spot. But they came back. They swept the Oregon schools. First time they won uh, in Eugene uh, ever, according to their assistant coach, Ryle Jagged. And, um, you know, all their players are really stepping up, playing well. And uh, do we have a live score coming in? They're they're playing USC, who's yeah, number one in the country right now. Tonight. So they they actually they'll uh, they'll play on the Pac-12 networks here in about thirty minutes. And oh, I'm gonna, off at eight. Let me say something. If you're not a volleyball fan, you think oh it's it's women's sports, oh it's volleyball, blah blah blah. Volleyball's really, fun to watch. Please give it a shot. Yeah. I went down to Cherry Creek High School and called a uh, high school volleyball game with their broadcasting club, and it was one of the most fun things I've ever broadcasted. Volleyball is a really fun sport to watch, especially when you're in the gym. You know, television's television, but go support the buffs. I mean, if you're sitting at home right now and you're not doing anything, you've got time to get down to the game. You know, they're playing at the Coors Event Center. They're playing the number one team in the country. Uh, I'm not sure the protocol on rushing the court in volleyball. But <laughs> Turn I mean, us off, turn us on in the car, and drive down to the CEC. No, I would even say, I would even say turn us off and go watch volleyball instead. It's the number one team in the country. But, but they, they did upset the number one team in the country last year in Washington. That was a, he- a heck of a game that I went to. And this volleyball program is a solid, solid program, mm-hmm. especially for you know where the volleyball program was a Bef- couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, before Coach Kritza came, absolutely. And you know where they are now. It's a real solid program, and it's a sport like hockey, Joe, where you, you don't really realize how much is going on behind the play oh, until gosh. you show up at the stadium mm-hmm. and watch. Well, and the, the really amazing thing about volleyball, too, is they have had – uh, a reputation over the past three years for knocking off top five teams when the game is at course. Washington twice. Twice. Once when they were number two, once when they were number one. Um, and they've played a ton of other teams close in this building. They took Arizona State to five sets last year. ASU was a top 15 AVCA program. Um, there's a lot of really big wins that have happened here in course. There have been a lot of close games that have happened here in course. Right now, um, Colorado is is ranked in the AVCA poll, and you know they they really do deserve uh, they really do deserve your support and shameless plug here. We did a segment with them uh, with Sierra Simpson and Alexis Austin, uh, where I try to to dig a spike that goes um, that comes off of Alexis Austin's hand, and 
I recommend you give it a watch it only because we have a GoPro mounted to my forehead for it. And you get to see how fast these balls come at, at these players and, and, and how hard they're hit. It's really impressive. And, and they don't, I really don't think they get enough credit, uh, the women's volleyball players, because the Pac-12, like soccer, is an unbelievably difficult volleyball conference to play in. You know, I'm going to maybe put my money where my mouth is, and I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're just a student here, you can walk in with your buff card. You don't have to pay for tickets, correct? Um, yeah, I believe so. Free? It's yeah. free. I so, think the you know, general right. admission's five bucks. So if you're a community member, it's a $5 bill. Yes. I think kids get in free. I'm actually positive kids get in free, and students get in free, too. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. When we get over— uh, Or your lack of money. Or my lack of money. That's true. <laughs> I work for free. We'll work for food. Um, I'm going to go—let's go down there, boys. Let's go uh, Let's go pay a visit to the Coors Event Center and yeah, go see uh, cool what's going on. I mean, all I was our, already planning on going. All, oh, <laughs> yeah. Are, yeah. You, are you a gold digger? Are you going to bring the Cubs game with you? Shab, are you a gold digger? Cubs, Cubs game's almost over. They're down to two outs in the last inning. What's the score? Four nothing cards. Oh, wow. Well, you and I can go cry in our beers. Third. Yeah. Well, I, at least the Cubs are only down one game. I still haven't gotten uh, an answer to my question yet. What's your question? Are you guys gold diggers? Yeah, I'm a gold digger. <laughs> I'm a big old I'm, I'm, I'm more of a silver miner, but I think I'm a gold digger as <laughs> that well. That's good. Silver uh, mine the, subs. In case you, you don't know, the name of the, of the supporter section for the CU Volleyball team is called the Gold Diggers. So just putting that one out there. I've, I've seen the I'm shirts. I'm glad you cool. got that joke in, Andrew. You were really keen on that one. Oh, man, I saw the your face just light up. The jokes you know what we should have on the show? For me tonight. <laughs> you know what we should have on the Gabby show? Simpson. No, it's no. really just an excuse for me to get Matt Clasco in here. We should have a student section summit in here with the leaders Ooh. of the Folsom Frenzy, the C like Unit, that. and the Gold Diggers. Jacob Pauly and Matt Clasco. Let's get them in there. I'd, yeah. like, I'd like that. That'd be a good show. Yeah. What do you think, All Buffs? Would you want to hear that? Would you want to hear a, a student section summit, the leaders from all the student sections? Send us your thoughts on the board or on Twitter. I, I think that's a good that's good programming that would be a good show let's talk some basketball let's <laughs> andrew uh today at sports mag we ran a package about uh you know the season getting going but the thing that drew my attention as i was editing audio for this program was the voice of a foreign player <laughs> this is good we've got some euros yeah so uh so we we had a feature today for uh for sports mag on thomas akizili who is colorado's newest uh belgian point guard a freshman and <laughs> I asked him, you know, have you had your welcome to America moment yet? You know, that moment where you realize that you're clearly not in Europe anymore. And I was expecting an anecdote about him, you know, not, you know, driving on the other side of the street or, or trying to go to a bar and he's not, you know, 21 or something like that. No, he turns around and goes, well, the way you greet people in America is you greet them with a hug. And in Belgium, you greet them with a kiss on the cheek. So the first time this happened to me, I went up to a girl and just kissed her on the cheek. And she looked at me and was like, what are you doing? This is really, really weird. And I thought to myself, you know, if I wanted to have like a welcome to America moment, I think that's how I'd want to have my welcome to America. I think you were, I thought well, he's you lucky were to get slapped. Yeah. I thought right? you were going to say, Andrew, I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm European and go around and just start kissing girls on cheeks. No, well, I don't fight. think his girlfriend, who probably is listening to the show, would like that. I don't know if he's got a girlfriend. No, your <laughs> girlfriend. Oh, my girlfriend? Yeah. Hi, Brooke. Love you. Uh, <laughs> no, the the nice thing, <laughs> the thing I I really like about Akizili, um, because for the for the uh, feature today. Uh, I went out and shot some B-roll of him at practice. He's got great ball distribution. He really knows how to share the rock. And he, I think, has outplayed Talton so far. Stalzer 
can't be at Friday practices, so I didn't see him because uh, of a class conflict. Um, but I would imagine that if you're out playing Talton, you're out playing Stalzer as well. Um, now, the funny thing is that Coach Rodney Billup mentioned was Thomas Akizili, in his words, is the hardest worker and brings the most energy that they have ever seen. And he even went as far to say that what Dom Collier brought last year is less than what Thomas Akizili is bringing this year. And I thought that was really interesting because it made me wonder if Akizili you know, gets better on defense, because that's what Coach Billups said was the big issue for him. If he gets better on defense, how safe is Dom's spot as a bona fide number one starter? I mean, I'd have to imagine that. I'd have to imagine he's fine, but a guy like Akizili, if he plays well, is the kind of person that I would really like to see at that point guard spot, because he's a European guy. He's pass first. And for a team that you saw struggle so heavily last year because you had too many guys that wanted to shoot the rock or you had not enough people who were good at ball distribution, he's a welcome, he's a, a really welcome addition, especially if John Rothstein, what Tab Boyle told John Rothstein of CBS Sports is right, and George King ends up playing that four. You know, I was really impressed with Aki Azili's uh, dribble skills and the, the, the fluidness of his shot. Mm-hmm. The, the day I saw him play, uh, I was watching him at the end of practice getting some extra work in, and I was watching from the court level, and, and, and his shot was pretty quick for, for how young he is. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just a smooth-looking shot, and I was like, okay, this kid could be legit. You know, I really don't know much about him, and we're not going to know much about him until he gets onto the actual court and starts playing just because he's a European guy and there isn't much out there on him. But I will say, I think Radio 1190, Friday Night Live, should get this nickname going for Thomas Akiazali. All right, this is it. 7.36 p.m., the time where Jake Shapiro is going to try to get something going. Scrabble. Oh, my God. (laughs) Scrabble? Yeah, he's got a lot of letters in his name. Alphabet soup. Yeah, well, Scrabble sounds good, I think. I could do it. Mark Zabchinsky was that when he used to play for the Cardinals. A See, that's years the thing. Ago. You took you took someone else's nickname and you gave it to someone else. You can't do that. Yeah, you can. They do that. Every, <laughs> they do that all the time in baseball. They this do, isn't baseball. I'm trying to think of something for him. I, baseball I is know. life. Yeah, he's he, there. There's got to be something. There's there has to be. Um, I like alphabet soup. Alphabet soup. Alphabet it's soup in the lane. Oh, two if, for the Buffalo. Honestly, if if anything, that that title has got to go to Ken and Gazanich. Because his first name. Okay. You know, like Thomas is easy enough. Kenan, G-U-Z-O-J-N-I-C. That's something. It's pretty impressive. Um, but when I when I was watching practice also today, a couple other notes that, that struck me. Um, Josh Scott was out shooting threes after practice, and a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, Tad, in his media address, um, you know, his his ears kind of perked up when, when Ryan Konigsberg of BSN asked him how uh, how Josh has, you know, kind of been evolving in this perimeter role. And it's going to be interesting to see if Josh starts to take more shots from three. I mean, he shot seven three-point shots in his entire college career. So if he actually chooses to go that route with a more shooting-based output, then, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. The one thing I like about Tad this year is Tad is back to preaching fundamentals. There's no talk of 
high you know high tempo offense and George Carl in Boston College his whole mantra has been defense defense rebounding doesn't matter if we run up the score we don't need to be flashy you know they're running the motion they're going to be a, a decent basketball team and the one thing that everybody is hearing and the one thing that all the players are saying is that the emphasis on shooting by players individually has been a lot better. Josh Scott was on this show last week and said that um, there was going to be a much, uh, you'd see a much different Trayshawn Fletcher, his much better shooter. People were saying that George King has gotten a lot better, made huge strides. Now Josh Scott is out there shooting threes with Josh Fortune, whom BG, who is just with us, just described as a pure shooter. So, if you get, and the reason I like Akazili so much, I don't think he's going to start over Dom, but I think he could cut into Dom's minutes. The reason I like Akazili is if you have so much uh, emphasis on guys being better shooters that you get a few that are actually good knockdown, knockdown uh, snipers, you bring in a guy like Akazili who knows how to pass and knows how to distribute the ball, and he had a couple really, really sweet dimes in, in the scrimmages today. He's a guy who you know you could turn around and be like, wow. He now really can facilitate this offense the way Colorado was kind of missed in about a year and a half since Spencer Dinwiddie went down, really. You know, I popped that question to BG, as we're saying on the show, about the offense. <laughs> if you missed the first hour, uh, Andrew Hopner tried to propose marriage to Rick George <laughs> oh, <laughs> while he's dressed like Larry King. Oh, God. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> today, I uh, proposed the question to, uh, to BG about, you know, whether or not uh, they could put the ball in the hoop this year, and is Josh Fortune the guy to do it? But I think the bigger question comes down to defense and rebounding, and that's Tad Boyle's roots, and that's what they got to get back to if they want to be a successful team. They got to get back to their core, their base goals, you know, what they are known for: defense and rebounding. And you know, I, I think a big thing for this, for for me this season, is, is seeing that. And I'm not going to buy into this team and practice. I'm not going to buy into this team. You know, the first five games, I need to see a consistent effort on the defensive and rebounding side to buy in this team. I'm just not drinking the Kool-Aid on the CU Buffs team anymore. Uh, I'm just curious, Jake. I, I've i seen my own things and I've you know drawn my own conclusions from Xavier Johnson walking around campus looking healthy to me. What's the word on XJ? He's gonna he's gonna play at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I heard a I heard a slated January midseason return for him tentatively. And you know he's he's a guy that 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 wants to play this year. Yeah. And, and you know and he, there's a potential that he could he could redshirt the year and play another year. He, he wants he wants now. He wants to play now. Now speaking of redshirting and reclassifying, we mentioned it a little bit earlier yes. in the show. But you got some news on Jace Johnson, who is a pretty big recruit for this University of Colorado team, originally class of 2017. Okay, so this was a little Friday news dump action. Uh, Comes across my timeline from a Spencer Dinwiddie quote tweet. A really weird way to find out about something. Right? <laughs> um, so I, I click on the link and it says Jace Johnson reclassifies to 2015, and I, w- I thought it was incorrect. You know, Jace Johnson reclassifying to this year, the bas- college basketball season starting in five weeks. You know, mm-hmm. he's reclassifying to this year. He transferred into prep school this week, this Monday, and he's going to be able to transfer into college next semester. And he said he would be willing to pay his way for a semester as a walk-on to get a scholarship later to school. He also found out this week that he's not going to be able to get go to Stanford because of this. He, he's not, or I don't know if it's because of this, but Stanford's out of the picture for him. And from what I've heard is that CU was, was high, he was high on CU, very high on CU. And it's between CU, K- 
Cal and Utah at this point. Wow. For people that don't know who he is, he's a 6'11 center, uh, four-star by all rankings, and he's from Santa Monica High School, Dana Point, California. Uh, His scouting report reads, overall, Johnson is one of the top centers of the class of 2016 who should continue to improve his game due to his effort and mental approach to the game. Johnson is one of the true top five big men in the national class of 2016. He's extremely long arms, soft hands, and one of the most uh, assertive prospects in the class. Uh, He reclassified to this year, and he would be able to come into 2015 uh, as a walk-on. I'm not sure if he'll be able to play or not. No, he probably won't. But, you know, there's there's the potential. And one of the reasons he stayed was he wanted competition against the best right now. He felt like he needed to to get that connection. competitive advantage against NBA prospects and draft guys and college and top college players and so he wants to come in here if he's coming in to CU he wants to come into college right away and compete against these guys as soon as possible and he's going to be able to do that second semester this year as either a walk-on at Colorado or Utah or as a scholarship player at Cal so there's a really interesting thing here where he would either have to walk on to CU or Utah for the second half of the season or he could get a scholarship at Cal for the second half of this season and then obviously be under scholarship for the next, you know, four years or whatever happens with his redshirt here, year here. So it'd be really interesting to see kind of how this plays out now because I know CU and Jace Johnson were very high on each other, and that would be a very, very good match for each. Boy, how... How nice would that be after losing out on the Deron Davis sweepstakes to be able to pull a guy like Jace Johnson in that 2016 class? That would be probably one of the biggest recruiting coups in the Tad Boyle era, I would argue. Um, there's still a lot up in the air right now, and, and you never know where things will go as, as far as recruiting is. But, man, Jace Johnson to fill a void left by a Wes Gordon or a Josh Scott would be would really be something for the CU Buffs team and something that they'd very sorely need once those two guys end up leaving. It would really be to fill the Josh Scott void. Obviously, mm-hmm. Wes Gordon will be here and kind of, uh, you know, Jace Johnson would apprentice under Wes Gordon for a year, which, you know, I, I kind of like that, the way Wes Gordon is developing. Hopefully, he takes a huge step this year for the Buffs. But Wes Gordon is a solid athlete and he you know maybe the mental approach isn't always there but he's starting to refine his game and we see him make steps and you know the potential of a backcourt the way Tory Miller looked between Tory Miller and Jace Johnson in about 2 years is sounding really good especially with a front uh, a front court of those two with a backcourt led by Bryce Peters and Dom Collier oh, man that would so, be nice you know all of a sudden you know things were looking really bleak for the CU recruiting class and you know really the CU basketball program and if they can get this Jace Johnson kid I think things are going to start to turn around again really quickly, but I don't know if that's right now this year because, like I said, uh, there's a lot of questions surrounding this team. You know, it's not very much different. There are those two new European guys, and there'll be a different flavor to this team as, as, as well as leadership, but I'm not sure that so much is different from last year to this year. Speaking of the Europeans, it's already taken flight on Twitter <laughs> and on All Buffs. Uh, Buffnik from All Buffs says that a monkey with a typewriter could do better than <laughs> Scrabble. So, if you would like to submit your ideas for what we're we all... Do we have a winner already? <laughs> Zillian the Gooch is a front runner, man. That is awesome. <laughs> Zillian the Gooch. Go, go on the All Buffs forum right now and go find, uh, under the basketball subheading, um, the... 
the All Buffs Challenge nicknames for the <laughs> Euros. We have a message board that couldn't handle Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah, this is great. If you guys want, if you guys submit uh, these names and we can come to a conclusion, I will refer to them as only those names on the show the whole year because I don't really want to say Akazili and Gusnigits. Because that's hard. Would you like to buy a vowel there, Joe? Uh, can I get an <laughs> A, E, I, O, U, sometimes a Y, maybe? <laughs> oh, my God. 746, Radio 1190, <laughs> KVC Boulder. You're tuned to the best buff sports radio show of all time. All time. Ever. Roll time. We even have a working phone line now. If you're a long-time or even a short-time listener of the show, that's a constant narrative. It's like the subplot. Can the boys figure out how to get their guests on air? Well, guess what? <laughs> we got it! <laughs> what was Jay and Dan this week if you watched it? Thursday night, uh, they they just put out a new podcast. They're like, oh, the Jay and Dan podcast, subtitle. A lot of stuff about Peterborough. <laughs> their new title. I love subtitle. Peterborough, Ontario. Yeah. You know who John Grant Jr. is? Uh, no. John Grant Jr. is one of the best lacrosse players of all time. He plays for the Colorado. Uh, he actually, he's not, he doesn't play for the Mammoth anymore. Now he just plays for the Denver Outlaws. He's from Peterborough also. It's just a, just a pick from Peterborough. Peterborough. So, you, you know, we, we're, me and Joe are going to reference this podcast all the time. So you might as well watch a Jay and Dan podcast. Or listen to it. One, or listen to it. It's and also, good. we're in the process of turning this show into a podcast as well. For now, we're just going to put everything up on SoundCloud. Uh, depending on, I mean, I'll be honest, depending on if we have the budget for it, uh, we're going to try and add a second Radio 1190 podcast on the iTunes store. So then it'll just download right to your phone. But either way, uh, this episode and every other episode will be available on SoundCloud eventually. And we'll talk Talk about that. it, Joe, but SoundCloud has an RSS feed now, so maybe we can try and figure out a way where we can only RSS feed the the, the Friday Night Lives. And you know what we're going to have to do? Video. We're just going to have to get our own SoundCloud because the radio, if you're not familiar, if you just listen to this uh, this show on the station, you're really missing out. Uh, radio 1190 has some awesome content uh, that they put through a podcast, through the Radio 1190 podcast, and uh, that's it takes our RSS feed okay. from SoundCloud. But I mean, we have uh, this week. This week was also Pledge Drive. Uh, it's too late to pledge now. Hopefully you pledge during the week. This, this is the one week where we beg you for money. We'll still take your money if you want to give it to us. Yeah, we will. <laughs> just call my personal number. Yeah, just send me. We'll take bitcoins. Oh, I'll take God. anything. I had to match Andrew's sock game, by the way. I just did that. That's fair. That's fair. Anyways, um... Yes, so we will be putting these on SoundCloud, and we'll link it in the uh, the All Buffs forum. Thank you again for uh, all the support you guys give us. 7.48, though. We're running out of time here. 12 minutes remaining. 12 minutes remaining. What do you guys want to talk about? Well... I well, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think here because Zilly you know, and the Gooch. It sounds like it's going to be a sitcom. And the Gooch. That'd be great. Well, you know, the, the funny thing about it was I uh, I text um, I tweeted like six months ago when I first saw like the first actual video of Akazili, and I was like, okay, this kid is from Europe. He balls. He's got like the European hair, and he's got an accent in Boulder, Colorado. Like I'm, you you gotta you gotta hide your wives, you know. Like you gotta hide your wives. Hide your kids. Because because that is just like the the biggest the biggest thing that I could think of as far as man. You so, would have to imagine. So Joe goes, what he do you walks want to talk out about, and you want to talk about Ezekiel's life. Uh, we need a nickname. Anyways, his life. Zillian like the, the audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just something that I had heard today. I had heard that. Well, and the other thing was the thing that didn't make it into the feature was Coach Rodney Billups saying, you know, they they give him they give him you know flack about his accent or his mannerisms or, or his tone of speech, but you know. They're just jealous with the energy he brings. He's got he's got the hair and he's got the confidence. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, Rodney Billups, you are telling me 
that everyone on this team is jealous because Tom Izakazili definitely gets more goals than them. That's what you're trying to tell me right now. Um, let's talk about something more relevant. Last night, the Denver Nuggets played the Chicago Bulls at the Coors Event Center. I th- I always thought we were gonna we we yeah. kept who is the Denver Nuggets? Yeah. Well, anyways, is that a sports team or is that a, a meal I can get at McDonald's? I think Buffs fans and can I get a number ten Denver Nuggets should should uh, thank. Ironically, uh, uh, Doug McDermott played in the game. Uh, there was yes, going to be the McNuggets Dougie thing. Fresh. He, he should have been on the right. Nuggets, by he the way. They should have the never Nuggets. traded him. McNuggets. Anyways, uh, I think CU fans and uh, the CU fans should uh, thank both the Nuggets and the athletic department for you know continuing to put on that show that continue you know that's happened almost annually at Coors Event Center. It's, it's really fun to watch that. Uh, you called game. it. I did call it. Kinda. I I I did some play by play, and you'll never hear it. Unless I hack into your laptop right now. <laughs> you can watch the Blackhawks game. <laughs> Hashtag too. ethical hacking. Yeah, if I were to hack over Jake's computer, all I'd do is disable him from watching Chicago sports and he'd lose his mind. Uh, <laughs> no, but let's talk about it. I think it's really cool what the NBA does. Uh, they you know, they throw some preseason games into some cool arenas. Uh, I mean, the Coors Event Center. I think it'd be cool. It's cool to have the NBA in there. It's even cooler for the reporters to you know go do the NBA reporting <laughs> things and get to go into the locker rooms and do all that fun thing. and. <laughs> You know, Jake. Jake actually, he geeked out yesterday because he's a Chicago. He's a Chicago guy. But my middle um, name is Jordan because no of Michael. Way. Because of yeah. Michael Jordan. Is your yeah. Bobby listening? Oh my god! I think she is. Hey, Yay. Bobby. <laughs> That's so cute. I, I gotta agree with you, Joe. I mean, it's really cool how pro sports do make their way up to Boulder and. I've always been in the mindset, because when you look at uh, DMA and market size, Boulder's in kind of a weird scenario where, in most other places, Boulder would be its own media market. It would be around the same DMA size as a place like Eugene might be. But, because it lives in the shadow of Denver, Denver kind of holds sway in all forms of media, from print to broadcast to radio. You know, Denver sports is what hangs in big time, and I think... It's cool, if anything, to get people to want to come up to Boulder and to also get some eyes on Boulder um, by having these pro sports here. The one thing I really want to see, I don't know how feasible it is. I don't think it would ever happen personally. I would love to see an avalanche game in Coors Event Center. I think that'd be the coolest thing. So, it is not feasible. I've, I've it looked into it. I've looked into it, and I've asked the right people these questions, and the answer is that the seating is too close to the court, and they don't have enough room for a regulation. You know, uh, you know, they uh, could uh, get everything in there. Like, getting the stuff in there and getting the ice cold, like, they have the technology for that. But the, what would they would have to do? They would have to remove, I think, the first, like, ten rows of seating in the Coors Event Center oh to make God, it work. Wow. And when you remove Holy those cow. first ten rows, that takes a lot of seats. That, yeah, that, at that point, you're going to have a hockey game in front of what what a few thousand people. I was about to say maybe you know seven thousand. You know what's great though about about that is you could go the old school NHL. Uh, NHL actually didn't even require the rinks till about like ninety five to be the regulation size. So mm-hmm. the old Chicago Stadium, the old Dallas Stars barn, even Tampa Bay before they moved into their new rink, they'd all be like they'd all be quirky. You know, Chicago's rink was eight feet short. Yeah. Dallas's rink was both eight feet short and four feet. You know, not as long. Not as long. Yeah. So you know, in, in in Vancouver, they they had the interesting thing when they played the Olympics up there a few years ago is that that was the first time the Olympic hockey, international hockey, had ever been played on an NHL-style rink. You know what's actually really interesting? Um, college hockey is, because of the way college hockey set up and because, you know, there's teams that don't have NHL money, uh, the dimensions of some college hockey rinks are also not uh, the standard, you know, 200 feet 
in length. Uh, I think it's 200 by 85. Um, for example, and I know this is the club level, but there are some like great examples at the D1 level. When we were down in Arkansas last week, the neutral zone was probably about 30 feet wide. And that's it's supposed to be 50. The neutral mm-hmm. zone was 30 feet wide. Wow. It was the smallest neutral zone I've ever seen in my life. Now, you say, well, you go on a hockey trip to the south. That's what you're going to get. But it's really cool. And I thought, you know, the corporate, you know, wait, man, I really wish we had time for this whole conversation. But, like, the corporatization of arena sports has kind of taken away that home field advantage, that home ice advantage. Because you used to have these rinks uh, across the NHL that had such so much character. You know, in Montreal, in Pittsburgh especially. Oh, my gosh. Chicago. The Igloo, Chicago. Yeah. You know, Dallas, you know, Detroit, Toronto. up to Chicago. I mean, you still have this with Wrigley Field. But you're in the visitor's locker room. You're taking a cold shower. You're walking with your skates, you know, around the entire barn to – and then you're walking up a flight of stairs just to get your, your to get to your bench with skates on. That's not easy. It's an entire workout just to get to your bench. So you know you're right. It, it's totally taking the character character out of some of the arenas. And I'd be interesting to look at how teams have done win loss in terms of home and road over the past few you know over the last 20 years. Kind of uh, looping that. And I bet the road teams win percentage has gone up in the last few years. It but, definitely has because they they made the rules. They're like, all right, you can't you can't do this anymore. You got to treat the visiting team well. If anything, you got to treat the visiting teams better than yourself. You have to have the ice dimensions like this. You have to have the boards like like the boards now are all uniform. They're talking uh, Hawks just redid their they boards. They did. They were season. talking. Yeah. They have the same boards in the United Center forever and they just put in new boards um, I think during the Actually, I think they put them at the end of the playoffs slowly. Right, and you have to put the seamless glass now, too, yeah. if you're putting a new glass, which is you know uh, not a big fan. The goalies don't love any type of glass, let's put it that way, but I don't think they like seamless glass either no. compared to the Well, because it runners. comes off weird. Yeah, well, you know, it's just not a natural hop. I, no. None of them are really going to be natural. But, you know, I, I really thought for a while, and we've talked about Joe and I, and it's a pipe dream. It's the biggest pipe dream. But I'd see you getting a D1 hockey program. Arizona State just started their D1 so hockey program. So I've got some, I've got some insights I got that. one some new insight. So, so hold on one After second. you. I know the issue, the biggest problem would be finding a home and finding a rink probably because the issue that I've understood would be that uh, – their rink would be the Broomfield Event Center. And Broomfield Event Center took out their ice a few years ago when they turned it back into a concert venue. So here is the latest on that. And again, this is this is still I think this moves out of the, the realm of pipe dream into plausible. Frozen pipe dream. Frozen pipe dream. God. In the city of Superior, Colorado, about five minutes from here, they're building a new, I mean, multi-million dollar facility where uh, Boulder Valley Ice sits right now. It's okay. going to be the Superior. They actually don't have a name right, right now. Right off of 36. Right off McCaslin. Yeah. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible complex. It's going to be a one-of-a-kind facility. It's going to be the home of hockey in the state of Colorado with, like for youth and on the way up. It's going to have two sheets of ice. It's going to be um, if you've been to the Ice Ranch down in Highlands, or excuse me, in Littleton, it's the same developer, but there's going to be two and a half sheets of ice. There's going to be stadium seating on both sides. They're going to have a Titantron. They're going to have a Starbucks. They're going to have, I mean, it's going to be a massive wow. facility. That's, that's what, a big what investment. Type of stadiums, what type of stadium uh, sitting? Because I know they have that at Highland Hills, but it's only, you know, sits a thousand. I mean, it's going to be pretty decent. The Western States Hockey League, uh, Superior Rough Riders, they, they're a really good team. They actually have ownership from the USHL, the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders. 
There's a lot of money involved there. Their owner actually lives, uh, I think he lives in Erie, Colorado, and he invested in this team and he invested in the future. And it's going to be a big-time building. And I think it really is going to open the door to not only, you know, uh, usher in a new era of Western States League play here, but I think it wouldn't be out of the question to see a North American team or a USHL team in the state of Colorado in the near future. And with that in mind, you look at where, you know, other teams play in college hockey. Most teams don't play right on campus. I mean, right. when, you know, here in Colorado, you have Denver, uh, you know, University Deuce of Denver. Lucky. They play at Magnus. Yeah. A lot of teams play off campus. And so asking people to drive five minutes away instead of 20 minutes away to Broomfield for a game is a lot more reasonable, especially if you're starting a D1 program. And is it a pipe dream? Maybe. But there's also some talk that now that Arizona State's in, Stanford wants it. Both the Washington schools want it. And Pac-12 hockey might become a thing. Well, you know, we were always going to say CU hockey's never going to be the trailblazer. It's always going to be someone that follows. Mm-hmm. And it, and like I said, the location was probably going to be the biggest issue. It's not easy to get a hockey rank. They're, they're few and far between. The closest ones to Boulder right now are, you know, the CU Rec Center. There's one at 36 in McCaslin where Joe was talking about, but it's a pretty crappy facility. Oh, it's Boulder Valley Ice is a dump. Right, and then there's Highland Hills. Those <laughs> are the gross. three yeah. closest facilities right now. So you really have to – my brother drives 35 minutes every night to play hockey. So, you know, you, you have that challenge, and not only do you have that challenge of just getting a sheet down, but you have the challenge of getting a stadium and, and, and getting it to CU Athletics standards. So I, I'd be really interested to see if it ever happens. You know, it's far off. Uh, it's not even worth posing to Rick George right now because it's just so mm-hmm. far off. But – there, there's some possibility there, and you know I'm always the guy that's going to push for hockey. And U.S. hockey's growing so rapidly right now, and college hockey's growing. Joe knows it, you know, better than anybody. But it's great to see the sport growing, and you know you'd hope see you'd be out in front on something like that, especially with the talent the state has. You know, Seth Jones oh is from Colorado. So is Ben Bishop. Right. There's there's a lot of guys. guys so is Jacob N- Slavin, who's casual, playing for the Carolina, Carolina right, Hurricanes. Casual NHL fans will know names that have come out of Colorado. Now, the other thing that uh, I think is going to be the big roadblock here is women's hockey might have to come first because all right with of how title, because of how Title IX occurs where you need to have uh, an even or comparable amount uh, of women athletes to men. Men's hockey tips the scales in the favor of the men too heavily because of what football does with the amount of players they have on the yeah. rosters. Yeah, So you're going to need a few women's sports. I think, like you said, Shap, hockey is not going to be a trailblazer here at CU, but Pac-12 hockey and West Coast hockey in general is on the rise, and my buddy has been telling me for years, he's an L.A. kid who grew up playing hockey, and he says, that's going to be huge. And it's been relatively big in the SoCal area, but it's about to blow up in a way that as hockey gets more mainstream prominence, and it's for better there. or for worse... It will there. be I, I in the main that. eye. Yeah. 8 o'clock, Radio 1190, KVC Boulder. Before we go away, I do want to read some of these names from the All Buffs thread, uh, the nickname challenge for the, the Euros. Um, I'm updating it right now, so hopefully everyone got their some of their, uh, well, their, their comments in. So here we go. We'll you ready? We'll come back on Monday. We if, will. Uh, we Monday we will. Like the Ninus challenge. So shout out to everyone who participated. Here we go. First we have Zilly and the Gooch. My favorite. AK-47 in the Zons. It's also great. <laughs> Yaz and Zone, which I Ooh, like. Uh, Yaz and Zone is good. Ack and Goo or Tom and Ken. And that's that's what we've got right now. So 
So think about it this weekend. Sleep on it. Maybe you're in the second half when Colorado's getting blown out. Maybe think about this instead of crying. Oh, man, that was cold. But anyways, <laughs> this is Radio 1190 KVCU Boulder. This has been another edition of Friday Night Live with Joe Paris, Andrew Hobner, and Jake Shapiro. We'll be back on Monday to talk about what happened against Arizona State as well as all your latest buff news and notes. Thanks again to BG Brooks for joining us. That was uh, quite a treat as well as Rick George for also joining us. And um, yeah, no one will ever forget the time that Andrew proposed to Rick George on the air. Anyways, um, uh, this is Radio 1190 KVC Boulder. We're going to go away, but we've got our Radio 1190, a new feature we're going to